Hello, kaiju lovers. Nate coming to you here, OOC, or out of character, to let you know. Well, sadly, the new episode on Mothra 1961 still isn't quite done. I've been very busy with my day jobs. Yes, jobs, plural. As well as some work for Kaiju Ramen Magazine. So things didn't get done quite as fast as I would have liked on the production of episode 59. But... It is well underway, and I promise you it'll be worth the wait. Not sure exactly how long it'll be, but it's a great discussion on a classic Toho film and quite possibly the most ambitious drama segment I have had on the show yet, and I mean that. In the meantime, I'm sharing an abridged, and I do mean abridged, version of an MIFV Max episode. It was a live stream I did with Danny DeMana of the Godzilla Novelization Project and Michael Hamilton of the Kaiju Weekly Podcast and my co-host on The Power Trip, A Journey Through the Power Rangers franchise. It was on Dragonheart to commemorate the birthday of the late, great Sean Connery. And up until now, it has only been available to MIFV Max members on Patreon, but I am including the audio that I recorded of our discussion of the film. But there is a point where we diverge and we end up talking about a bunch of other completely unrelated things. You'll notice an edit where I skip in between those. If you want to hear the completely unabridged version, join MIFV Max on Patreon, and you can listen to the entire, I believe it's three and a half hours of us just nerding out <laughs> over things that aren't all related to Sean Connery and Dragonheart. All right, without any further ado, enjoy this special bonus episode. Hello, patrons, and welcome to MIFV number two or uh, session two, issue two. I don't know what to quite call it at this point. You know, the first one obviously was available for everybody. So it was Elijah and I finally doing our overdue conversation, analysis, riffing, whatever you would like to call it, on the Gamera Arrow set and the Criterion Godzilla set. Well, now here we are with another one exclusive to you, patrons. And with me today, as you can see, are a pair of ugly mugs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I make no, I make no excuses for my appearance. I, it's as good as you're going to get, folks. Introduce yourself for the five people who may not know who you are at this point. <laughs> which, which one of us? Either one. Hello, <laughs> kaiju lovers, and welcome to the Patreon stream. I am your host, Michael Dude Bro Hamilton, and I am joined by two lovely gentlemen, Danny, Danny Boy, Damana, and Nathan, who gives a crap about Nathan. <laughs> Did someone just hijack my show? I don't approve of this. 200%. Unfortunately, I've had to come to grips with the fact that I have the most easily parodyable intro out of all the other podcasters <laughs> seeing as how your intro is in itself 
already a reference and parody of another intro that exists before. <laughs> I mean, it, you, you're nothing if not in good company right now. Uh, yes. Also, Michael, there's I no always, way you weren't prepared for that. Yeah, you were ready I always bring that go. Robin Williams energy. Just saying. <laughs> I was I was ready. I was so ready. Uh, okay, so my name is Michael. Last name's Hamilton. I am a podcaster on the Kaiju Weekly Podcast. Uh, I'm also a co-producer, I guess, of a nifty little magazine called Kaiju Ramen Magazine that both of these fine gentlemen have written for yeah. and will write for in the future. Um, yeah, I'm also quite grifty. <laughs> And you are a people have told me. And you are a sometimes kaiju talk show host. But I am sometimes a kaiju talk show talk show host. You are correct, good yes, sir. Yes, because you have your own show, the Kaiju Groupie, both which has featured both Danny and I on episodes. I do, but it's been a while. Like I had to do some. I had to put it on hiatus because I had to do some adult stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I know adulting, adulting is sucks, hard. Man. Um, <laughs> But yeah, hopefully it'll be back at some point. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know when yet. I've still got to work that part out. But I'm still having fun podcasting with my uh, partner in crime, Travis Alexander, over mm-hmm. at Kaiju Weekly, where we embrace the sillier side of this fandom. Uh, and no one can be more silly than the man to my right, Mr. Danny Damana. Well, that's true, folks. I am a very silly person. <laughs> Man, it's 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 a good thing that uh, only the most dedicated I'm paying Nate for this people are watching this right now. Because uh, I probably just scared At some people off. At least for now. At least for now. Right. This, there is a very strong possibility this will get released as a bonus episode in the future. So you have been warned. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, then I'd like to rescind my awful goofy impression. Um, <laughs> and I just, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is live, man. <laughs> you and I would like to rescind my really poor impression of Nathan's intro. <laughs> I am sorry. Well, that's good to know because uh, I guess it's time for me to introduce myself. Hello, cat. <laughs> uh, never mind. I'm sorry. I, that's about as good as I'm going to. Sorry about the audio levels, by the way. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. don't worry. I'm using the soundboard. I'm check, check, checking levels over here. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. For realsies, for realsies. Um, uh, my name is Daniel DeManna, and uh, I am the creator slash author of the Godzilla Novelization Project. A uh, creative endeavor, three almost three and a half years in the uh, in so far to novelize all of the Japanese Godzilla films in English for the first time and share them 100% free with kaiju fans like yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's that's who I am. You can, you, you know, I'm I'm online everywhere. I mostly do writing stuff. I've been published in Kaiju Ramen. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, Yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I love I'm, how the I, I, accents are coming up because of the movie we're going to talk about tonight. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. the accents. You're bloody welcome. <laughs> it won't be the last time you hear that, me boy. Oh, no. The more, the more apple juice I drink and the worse the accent gets, I promise. Lower and lower quality. Actually, you know what? I, I sound more like, uh, like slightly inebriated Chief O'Hara right now. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, saints be praised, the caped crusaders are coming to save us. The, <laughs> it's the boy wonder, and the, he's fighting the Joker now. Like, that's what that sounds like. Oh, that's, Danny boy, the pipes, <laughs> the pipes are calling. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, where's my lighter? Oh, wait, I don't have one. 
because uh, I don't smoke. So. <laughs> so I grabbed my phone. I mean, I could have grabbed. I have some. It's not like I had a lack of things to grab around here. I could have. Uh, do you have oh, you a know Godzilla what? figure what that lights up with, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, in in the mouth or something? That would have been perfect. Mm -hmm. I actually have one up there, but if I pull him down, I guarantee an avalanche of MonsterVerse figures from Playmates yeah, will here, fall here. on my head and break <laughs> my camera. That is so bright. I know, Nathan. <laughs> I'm turning it off. <laughs> well, you can well. see the reflection of that in my glasses <laughs> from several states away. That was amazing. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I'm going to go ahead and grab something, which is. Issue two of Kaiju Ramen Magazine, available oh, now available now at kaijuramanmagazine.com for the low, low price of $10.99. There's also a $5 digital version if you fancy that. So there we go. That's the first of one. Uh, that's the first of many product placements in this episode. <laughs> I feel like I should be keeping a tally. It's just like ding, product placement. <laughs> no, if you're gonna if you're gonna plug something, you you better plug that. How's it? I mean, I I've heard rumors that it's selling like a gangbusters. Yeah. We have a we have a handful of episodes or episodes. Jeez, we have a handful <laughs> of. Uh, it's been a long day, fellas. This is my third. <laughs> this is my third podcast today. Oh my gosh! Um, so we have a That's handful. Because you of are Lord Gatekeeper. <laughs> Now, now, Nathan, you're not going to goat me into that this time. Um, I am Lord Gatekeeper. Uh, anyway, we have a handful of episodes. Jeez, uh, there I go again. I have a handful of issues. Strike two. Strike issues two, left. We'll do issues. it live. <laughs> I have a handful of issues left on the magazine. So if you want a copy, you better get it now because when they're gone, they're gone. And I cannot confirm nor deny we might be doing a special edition at the end of the year. So <laughs> don't nobody's sure of that, you know. <laughs> well, and do, uh, do we want to talk about a, shall we say, very high profile person who might be getting an issue or who is getting no, an issue? No, we don't because I, that is not 100% confirmed. Okay. And I do not want to, I don't want to put that out there into the ether and be and look like a jackass i mean oh, so okay. i look like i totally a get it Sorry. i totally get it but anyway we are here this is actually something that the two of you actually i think it was what was it last fall you guys were yeah, requesting I think, something i, think I like threw this it in the group fall. chat last fall as just yeah. like a, a fun possible thing that when, we could yeah. do when did um when did sean connery pass away oh uh, you're gosh. gonna make it me was... look that up aren't you <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I had the date in my head and then it was gone. It was definitely last fall or late la early early winter. Well, uh, it was in I 2020 because every uh, everything awful happened in 2020. Oh my gosh, he died on Halloween of 2020. There you go. Okay, okay. Yeah. I thought it was October at some time, but I couldn't remember when. Yeah, Halloween. Um, who died? Nathan, who who was this person? <laughs> you Sean, have not mentioned uh, uh, Sean Connery. <laughs> sir, no, it's Sir Sir Sean Sir Sean Connery. Nathan, Sir. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> he has, he has been knighted. This is true. Yes. This is true. So you guys have been asking me to do this ever since uh, ever uh, since then. So what what this stream is going to be? We're going to have a fun little discussion here for the movie Dragonheart because. Mm -hmm. We needed an excuse to talk about Sean Connery, but this is a kaiju podcast, so how do we do that? And then, oh, wait, he did the voice of a dragon. Dragon is it's close a, enough. So <laughs> it's but it's funny because Sean, um oh sorry, Sir Sean. Um very it, he's he's kind of in one of those weird six degrees of separation thing, but instead of Kevin Bacon, it's Sean Connery because a couple degrees over here, and you can connect him to Godzilla because of uh James Bond. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Because of um, you only live <laughs> Aki, twice. Aki, uh, but since they're, Akiko Wakabayashi. Yeah. Only, yeah. <laughs> so it's what? That's it's right. two. That's right. Two degrees of separation there. Two degrees of separation. Degrees I mean, that film was, had a lot of help from Toho to produce it. But unfortunately, there are no giant monsters in You Only Live Twice. So uh, we are. Uh, no. But which, let's be honest. Akiko Wakabayashi might have been the most beautiful of Sean's Bond girls. I'm just saying. For sure. Her, her and, uh, I, I, I'm Mie, not her kidding. and Miehama. I'm not kidding. Well, yeah, Miehama's up there too. But I'm telling you, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because they're like, she's in a James Bond movie, so you got to make her look even prettier. I mean, I love her in her in you know Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster and in her Toho films, but she is twice as pretty in that Bond movie. I don't know what they did, but she's twice as pretty. <laughs> it's the uh, it's the Bond veneer <laughs> probably in, in all those films. I mean, that, she's she's just a gorgeous gorgeous actress in general, and uh, she's 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 a good actress too. Like she's really mm-hmm. good. She's not in uh, You Only Live Twice nearly enough. Um, honestly, because well, I think she could have been Mie in there more. Hama's in it even less. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. She came in at the very end, um, and she had the uh, <laughs> she she got saddled with running around in a bikini for the entire last yeah, action scene also, of the movie. Uh, she also saddled, had the. Uh, are, we, are, we, are we really saying she got saddled with wearing that bikini? <laughs> I think that bikini was a gift to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she also had the most. Bondorific of names. She was a uh, Kissy Suzuki. So Kissy Suzuki, <laughs> and um, I want to say later on in one of the, oh my gosh, because eventually at some point in the Bond mythos, she has Bond's son, I believe, or what his child, and I don't I know have, if that was in a book or I don't remember where it's that is. Probably in, the, in one of the novels. It's not. In I think any it's of in movies. one of the novels, and I don't think it was one of the novels that um, Ian Fleming that Ian Fleming wrote. Yeah, I think it was. It might have come later. I don't quote me on that. I have, I'm not up on my Fleming, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say that there was uh, a number, wasn't there a couple of short stories written about the Bond yeah. uh, character? So yeah. I want to mm-hmm. say it came up in a short story, but I have, I have no idea. You might be right about that. Again, don't quote me on any of this, but um, I believe <laughs> Kissy Suzuki, what a name, uh, ended up. Um, I mean, it's having, on par. Having, it, yeah. It's on par with Pussy Galore. <laughs> Pussy Galore is worse. That's easily that's so much. Well, oh well, gosh. I mean, that's a lot worse. That's <laughs> Ian Fleming and his names, man. It's so weird because you have those crazy names like that, but he got he literally got the name James Bond off of a book on birding that was just sitting on his shelf. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to think of like the most lackadaisical, simple name he could possibly think of. Oh, I know. How about James Bond? Yes. Yeah. yeah, but that's and not now, what we're yeah. here to talk about, fellas. This is what we're here to talk about. No, sorry, <laughs> Let's Nate. stay this, focused, okay? <laughs> this is what we're here to talk about. Hardcore. Oh, you got the VHS. You know, I got the... Yeah. Uh, the, uh, well, I mean, I also have the all of them on Blu-ray, but I do oh, have... Oh, come on. So you've this seen is my yeah you've seen this the my, yeah, you've seen the pre the sequel and three prequels because I've seen them all okay you, them well all. save that for the end of the of this yeah. discussion because I am a little curious as I've seen none of them I've never had an interest because I doubt they can compare they can compare to this I'm just yeah, I, I'll I'll talk a little about it at the end because I am I the only person in in the uh, stream that has seen all f- all five of the tracks. I have I've seen, seen the first and that I've was seen enough. the first two. I've seen, seen the first, the first two, two. Okay. but I've not seen the rest of them. So you've and seen, I only, I only you've just seen... recently saw them within the last year or so um, because they were all on Netflix for like a hot second until mm-hmm. Netflix was like, no, we don't need that. So they, yes. they yanked them. So, uh, but yes. they, they were there for a while and I thought, eh, why not? 
Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll get into what I thought of those at the end. But yeah, okay. We're well, about the first uh, one. let me uh, switch over here. I, uh, I'm still learning how to make the, uh, how to do this. So I oh, am, nice uh, PowerPoint. let me see yeah. if I can, because this is great live streaming right here. Um, it so is, is it Ooh, full screen for you guys? We're in now? white screen. Cool. Okay. I guess I can't see the stream, but I can see the PowerPoint. Oh so. no. Is it going to, you can hear us though, right? I can hear you guys. Remember, okay. we don't want to like last time that was in. No, oh, good Lord. No. So I'm still kind of figuring out how this actually. Can I, uh, like, you know, make this a, oh, wait, oh, wait. Go, go ahead and hit the, the, uh, uh okay. If I make the, it full, the, wait, yeah. yeah if, if it should, I, it should do it. okay. It just goes full screen regardless if I tell it to start the slideshow. So, okay. Cause what we're seeing, what I'm seeing at least is the, the show in, in the edit. It, it doesn't look like you actually pushed, um, start, right. start presentation. Yeah. How about now? Not no. same thing. What? It's all good. You can just scroll down. We can we can see it, okay? And uh, if if it's hard for some of the text to be read, um, either Michael or I can just read it in an accent. Yes. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly what we'll do. We, you know, what we can do is we can do a, a, an impression of um, Dennis Quaid's incredibly British accent in this <laughs> film, which he definitely had. Oh, okay. Yeah. I can. Uh, whoops. I, uh, yeah, this is you're not actively going, making it uh, worse, Nathan. This is not going <laughs> nearly how I wanted it to. I am failing at live streaming. This is why I'm a podcaster. I, <laughs> uh, but, if I, but if I make it full screen, it doesn't work, huh? No, no, not. just just scroll through. We can all we can see it's it. Fine. It's fine. Right. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Okay, well, anyway, so we'll be talking. Uh, first off, I do have uh, some, uh, you know, cast and crew information here for those who may not know. So we've got, this is actually uh, quite the cast. I got to say, not just Sean, you know, Sir mm -hmm. Sean, I got to remember that Sir Sean. So we've got, we have, we've hit it. We've got Dennis Quaid as Bowen. So he's our human hero. And then Dinah Meyer as Kara. And I didn't realize that actually Dinah Meyer at the time was a bit of a hot commodity because she was on, oh, what was it? She was on TV at the time. I looked this up, but I can't remember what it was. If either of you guys, I know what remember, you're talking about, but I can't recall which I, uh, show. I want to say 1998-ish. Yeah, I want to say it was like someone's gonna. Uh, have to look it up. I will tell you in just a minute. Yeah, uh, she was in. She was in Starship Troopers, by the way. Oh, that's true. That's yeah, true. Because she true. was uh, um, crap. What was her name? Uh, she, uh, she was in Saw. Okay, but she no, was she in, was uh, she was in TV at the time, so that's what I'm looking for. TV actress. Welcome to MIFV Max. Yes, yeah. more awesome extras. We, only the most prepared podcasters come to hang we're, out. Yes, where we yeah. where we are not familiar with the source material enough that we don't have to Google. Yeah, but anyway, we are here. Just going to go through to the talk rest. about the Dragon Heart. Yes, which we have all seen. I definitely didn't buy this at a Goodwill a while ago. I this is my real childhood copy. I swear. <laughs> anyway, it actually, I'm gonna go it through the rest. <laughs> so uh, we have uh, David Thulis as Einan. He's our villain. Oh, he's so good in this movie. Yeah, Very and uh, apparently so he was a, good. he was more of a stage actor, and that's how he got yes. the part. I'm a big David David Thulis fan. When I was a kid, this was my a lot of kids' first exposure to David Thulis was probably as Lupin. 
in uh, the Harry Potter films. Mm-hmm. But my first exposure to David Thewlis was this movie. And then uh, a few years after this, he played the villain. He's a very good villain in um, of all things. And you guys are going to laugh at this um, in the Hallmark made for TV three part miniseries Dinotopia show. Oh, oh yeah. I remember. Oh, that was on. Yeah. Yes. He was, he played Lee. I, I grew up on the Dinotopia books and he played Lee Crab's son, uh, Cyrus Crab, who's a dinosaur racist. Uh, <laughs> and he's, he is, and it's, he's a terrible, despicable character in this film. And he's such a good villain. Um, and over the last couple of years, he's done a lot more artsy stuff. Um, if you've, if you've never heard of the film Anomalisa, which is Charlie Kaufman's stop motion uh, drama. Oh, wow. He plays one of, he plays, he's one of only three cast members in that film and he voices the main character. Um, and he's also, I mean, he's done a, he's done so much stuff. He was in a lot of the Harry Potter films. He's magnificent in Anomalisa. And he's, he was just in a new movie that Kaufman worked on called I'm thinking of ending things, uh, which is a film I have not yet seen, but apparently he's very good in that too, where he plays uh I want to say he plays a character at various stages of aging throughout his life. And they, they just do it through makeup and he's only in a few scenes cause he plays the, the main character's father, but he is one of the most underrated character actors, I think on earth right now, David mm. Thewlis, man. Okay. Love that guy. Well then uh, we have the next fellow who's actually, uh, I really like this character, but he, this dude has one of the most British sounding names I've ever seen, which is Pete. And I hope I say this right. Pete Postlethwaite. <laughs> Postlethwaite, Pete Postlethwaite it has a, a kind of kind of like a apostle, yeah, Postlethwaite, yeah. and uh, uh, he plays Brother sure. Gilbert of Glockenspur. Glockenspur. Gr- you mean the best character in the movie? Oh, I like to... no Draco's the best character. Well, but... well aside from the dragon, but uh... <laughs> yeah, well, I love Brother Gilbert. We'll get into this, but as a, as a writer, I very much identify with. Brother Gilbert. <laughs> I I love that guy. I mean, Pete Postlethwaite is a fantastic actor. Again, most people probably know him for The Lost World. Uh, where oh, he's yeah, hunting right. down dinosaurs. Oh, yeah, he but, is uh, in that. I forgot. It's been a yeah. hot minute since I've the, seen uh, The Lost World. He was the bounty hunter. Not the bounty hunter. Uh, he was the big game hunter that only was that he was only there to shoot dinosaurs. That's what a lot of people I want him. I want him male Tyrannosaurus, a buck only. <laughs> and then finally, I mean, there's a few other cast members we can mention, but finally, we have the reason we're all here, sir. My apologies, sir. Sean Connery, Sean Connery, yes. as the voice of Draco. And here we go. Yeah, we'll AKA, get into that. AKA my spirit animal. Uh, oh, Draco is your spirit animal, huh? No, Sean Connery is my. Oh, spirit. Dra- Draco's my spirit animal. animal. Uh, Draco is your spirit animal. Gotcha. Draco's mine, and Sean's is Michael's. Yes. It's not confusing at all. Well, yeah, no. sure. But uh, and now a few crew members we have on this. And this actually surprised me because I didn't know this, but a lot of people who are watching or listening to this will probably recognize this name or at least the last name. But this was produced by Rafaela de Laurentiis. Indeed. Who was the daughter of Dino de Laurentiis. <laughs> of the King Kong de Laurentiis, of course. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, cool. yes, yes. Quite right. Hmm. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Yes. Huh, yes. Yeah. So uh, keeping it in the family there. And then mm-hmm. the music is by Randy Edelman. And I'm going to tell you right now, and maybe you guys can help me with this, but I swear to you, at least the the little theme that gets played for this movie you have heard points. it everywhere. I've, I yeah, I've you heard that. it everywhere. Was it's it original very, to this and then it got stolen or what? <laughs> well, what happened was um, well, two things. A, uh, Edelman's score for this film is out flipping standing. 
-hmm. is one of my favorite scores of all time. It has one of my favorite movie themes of all time. Um, and uh, I'll, I will talk a little about it a little bit more as we go through the, the, our discussion here. But uh, what ultimately happened was that music is so majestic and epic, especially the da, 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 that main mm -hmm. theme that it was used as a, a, tr a temp track for rough cuts of films, but it's also been heard in a lot of movie trailers. Yes. Mm -hmm. that uh, might from be the why. period, I can guarantee if you've ever seen the trailer for Disney's Mulan, you've heard this music. Yes. Uh, it That's was in, I want to say either the theatrical, from. either the theatrical trailer or the home video trailer for Mulan or both. I don't recall which, but um, you can hear this music in there. And uh, it's the only piece of music with a few slight edits that has appeared in all five of the films. Uh, because ah. it is just that good and um it really deserves to be like it, it could honestly have been one of the most recognizable uh themes like for a film of all time if the film had gone on to have more than just kind of a cult following yeah it could have been it's I, that I, good i i don't have the box office numbers on this if you one of you guys wants to look that up you can i uh, for what i understand this was a case of a movie that was uh, did great with audiences but not so much with critics Oh, critics critics didn't like it yeah critics, they thought well, it was of course they, they thought didn't. it was mediocre at best but you know it found an audience and that that mm -hmm. audience really liked it so box can't. office was one it only made a hundred and fifteen point three million dollars what was the budget what was the Can budget the, yeah. i'm looking for the budget yeah because uh, budget, budget was well it's got it's given me two numbers the budget was it's it's given me 17 million Wow, and fifteen and fifty-seven million. So I think that's a, might be adjusted for inflation. Set of fifty. Possibly. Regardless, so, regardless, a, that is a, a hugely profitable movie. <laughs> that is a. Pro it was definitely a, a based on those numbers. It was a box office hit. I mean, that was long before most uh, tentpole blockbusters cost over a million dollars to make because of course yeah. we're now living in the age where you know like a marvel movie will cost over 200 million to yeah. make and if it doesn't make at least half a million or more which since it marvel it, it always does yeah uh, since it's marvel then it's in the red i mean a yeah. movie can make you know 300 or 400 million dollars off a 200 million dollar budget and it will be considered a flop yeah, I, that makes me wonder how much. If it was seventeen million at the time, I wonder how much of that was just Sir Sean's just you know, trying salary to get to, for this. getting his services, and it was was ten thousand ten million dollars for Sean, and five million dollars for Sean's catering, one million dollars for Sean's A plus accommodations, and then the other million was all the visual effects, all the rest of the cast, location, directing, yeah, the score, everything. The work. The rest. They, uh, it was they, just getting Sean to do the dragon <laughs> yeah yeah and then uh another name that will be very familiar to my listeners will be the draco was designed by phil tippett Woo! oh <laughs> hero. love that guy yep which actually i did not know until i watched this again and i saw his name pop up on the credits like oh no wonder <laughs> the, that's why the dragon looks so unbelievably awesome yes and uh, then we had uh charles edward pogue was our screenwriter and our director was rob cohen which i have to admit was a name that sounded familiar but when i looked up his filmography i'm like oh it's uh, not like one of the cohen brothers <laughs> no yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cohen's out there um but there's only one Rob Cohen and he didn't, he didn't do nearly as much as you, you'd think he would. He's not an untalented director. I mean, at least just based off of, of this film and Dragonheart was kind of like a passion project on mm -hmm. his, on his part. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a shame he hasn't done more because this is, uh, 
you know, this is this is not an incompetently directed film. No, at all. It's no. very well made. Although right. I think, uh, if looking at, we'll get into this a little bit more, but I do think looking at this film, it's a little bit of a snapshot of when it came out because it can't, comes out at a very mm-hmm. interesting point. Because for me personally, the '80s was basically the heyday of the fantasy film because there was a gazillion of them and almost oh, yeah. all of them are classics and or at least cult classics in one form or another. But <laughs> Death this, Stalker, guys, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah. this is before Lord of the Rings came around and not only changed fantasy cinema, but changed cinema, period. But mm. it certainly had a huge impact on fantasy films. So it this is kind of nestled in that middle ground period and it's 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 not as it's not as bad as say galgameth (laughs) keeping it relevant (laughs) it's hard to be as bad as galgameth (laughs) but it's not but it's not quite at the level of lord of the Rings. yeah it's not a lord of the rings heck it's not even a Braveheart. I mean, there are points where it feels like it kind of wants to be Braveheart, but it's... Oh, it, de- oh, it definitely wants to be Braveheart. It definitely for wants sure. to be Braveheart. Uh, for Braveheart sure. with a dragon. <laughs> it's It kind of represents an odd... Like you said, I, I kind of see it as a middle ground that also has another interesting identity because it's sandwiched in between the epic Conans of the 80s and then the Lord of the Rings of the early 2000s, but it's also something else, and that is a Jurassic Park coattail writer. Because yes. this was one of the very first of those, po- well, not the very first. It was riding that wave of five yeah. or six immediate years after 1993, yeah, where this is people were like, oh my God, bef- we can make these movies with these giant creatures now, you know, yes. and we don't have yeah, to hold back. It definitely was, which we'll definitely talk about once we get into things like the special effects. And Although, then but this we get was Godzilla before 98. Lost World. If I remember correctly, because Lost World was ninety seven, right? This was ninety six. This was this was yeah. Um, Lost World was ninety seven, uh, and then nineteen ninety eight. There was another thing that happened. I don't remember <laughs> what it was. Oh, um, we've all blocked that out. So hang on, I get hang. On. You know what? It's gone. I'll think of it later. Uh, it'll come back to me. I'll just <laughs> yell it in the middle of the stream. I'll, I'll remember. <laughs> it probably wasn't that important anyway. If I can't remember. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But anyway, you were saying because you know, so it's riding the trying to ride the a bit of the oh, Jurassic yeah. Park wave. Oh yeah, um, and because Phil Tippett had been trying to. I mean, remember in 1980, the 1980s, the definitive dragon picture was um, Dragon Slayer, mm-hmm. which had yeah. the, the the groundbreaking um, the motion blur go motion stuff where they uh, they put the the dragon puppet through this amazing process that eliminated the motion like it created an artificial motion blur and eliminated some of that um, classic tactile Harryhausen Willis O'Brien jerkiness uh, that I find to be a big part of the appeal of, of stop motion but I also right. love uh, I love what they were doing with the go motion stuff and that technology is what Phil Tippett was really kind of pushing for with films like uh, Dragon Slayer. There's a, I think there's a little bit of go motion in um, uh, Ghostbusters. Don't quote me on that. Oh, At least okay. This, that would be, I think so. Uh, yeah. But that was, that was <laughs> earlier. That was 84. If this was, and, a, if this was a quote unquote real <laughs> MIFV yeah. episode, you would have Jimmy yelling at you right now or something. <laughs> there he is. He's, he's with us in spirit. But um, ultimately what, what I, what I mean by like writing on Jurassic park coattails is that, I mean, in the fact that Phil Tippett's involved with this is also interesting because Phil was really at the forefront in the late eighties and early nineties of pushing uh, stop motion into more, photo real territory and just trying to get it as close to like 
tactile and real realism as you could. And uh, he was really hoping that this 1993 Steven Spielberg movie he was working on would be the film that proved that, uh, that that could be a thing because he was doing all of the stop motion dinosaurs for this Steven Spielberg movie. And then Steven Spielberg saw the test of the CG dinosaurs and said, now we're doing that. And uh, uh, Phil was, I mean, they kept him around because they ended up using stop motion, uh, a stop motion puppet plugged into a computer to fuel the movement of some of the dinosaurs, which is pretty cool. But um, after Jurassic Park, Phil didn't really have a lot to do except for just kind of sit around and watch computers, you know, and he'd yeah. been he'd been in the trenches, as it were, moving the puppets his entire life. Mm-hmm. And so when you see his name on something like like Dragonheart, it's kind of an interesting transitionary point in his career and in the film industry at large because they were saying look jurassic park did this we're gonna now we're gonna now do this and um at the at that point in the mid uh, mid 90s phil tippett no matter if you're um if your dinosaur was puppets or pixels he was still one of the best people to go for mm-hmm. uh to, to get to, so his his uh hand you can feel his hand in his work uh, in this film in a very, very profound way. Yeah, it's um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up Dragon Slayer because I actually have you seen Dragon Slayer, Michael? Uh, it has been many, many years. OK, so. yeah, I haven't seen it in a while either. But that that is an interesting little movie. It's a little bit atypical from what you might expect, even from. 80s fantasy it's uh, surprisingly dark at points it's not as well known i would say probably as dragonheart but it's you know it's still a thing and to be honest i would not be surprised if this film since we're talking about lord of the rings i would not be surprised if this paved the way for smaug <laughs> benedict cumberbatch in the hobbit movies which i have to admit yeah, Smaug is probably the best part of those movies, and oh man! <laughs> I mean, yeah, the caliber of uh, the caliber of voice acting with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, and then of course Sir Sean Connery, and this is just outstanding. Well, yeah, I mean, but I mean, it's just it's seeing the progression that we go from you know from a Dragon Slayer to this to the Hobbit movies. Well, uh, the progression to, to see, of technology is just of- incredible. Well, seeing the progression of any of the earlier uh, sword and sorcery uh, movies that pertain to dragon, because if I'm not, if, correct me if I'm wrong, Danny, but a lot, of, most of them, if not all of them, did have some form of stop motion if they did a creature in them. This was one of the first CG dragons. This uh, definitely, definitely for sure. Um, off the top of my head, I can't. I I, be, I believe it is. I believe it's the first like well definitely the first like big blockbuster mainstream dr- dragon and that's um that's something that the, the production team kind of prided themselves on was they were going to because the other thing that deserves to be mentioned is that this film was an attempt on the part of um De Laurentiis and the people who are making it at Universal to recapture the uh the bygone era of the big fantasy film mm-hmm. uh and with they were basically saying we're going to go back to the movies from the 70s and 80s that you love so much and we're going to update it with this brand new technology and look at what we can do now with these computers and we can make this dragon look uh you know more realistic than ever before and he can lip sync and he can do all this stuff so they were definitely going for that and so they did kind of tout this as the first of the new era, quote unquote, new era, mm. uh, you know, dragon, dragon films. Like yeah, this I is going to be, uh, a, yeah. They, they say it right here 
on the tagline. I mean, it says, you will believe. That was the tagline. Not the most original of taglines, but I believe. think. You I will think believe. You will believe a Sean I mean, Can Connery. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, it's definitely hearkening back to, <laughs> to I the, mean, uh, George, uh, not George Reeves, the Christopher Reeve Superman. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you will believe mm-hmm. a man can fly. To bring it up into more uh, more modern context, I would venture to guess that it's a movie, a film like Dragonheart is what inspired the mechanics for uh, what we got in Game of Thrones. If anyone is familiar with the, with the I dragon, I would not be surprised by that. I mean, this uh, is the this is the forerun- This is like we've talked about. This is the first CGI. If, if, it may not be the first first, but it's at least one of the earliest CGI dragons. So you know they got the mechanics of the creature right in this film. So I'm sure that paved the way for for others. I yeah. believe it for sure. Yeah. So I, I took a handful of notes while I was rewatching the movie this week, just to use as potential discussion starters on here. The the first thing I uh, I want to bring up is. Cause I did, cause it's been a hot minute since I'd seen this. I forgot how witty this script is. It is a very. Oh, it is. It it's, is, I, in um, fact, as we go through here, there's a few. I've actually wrote down a few of what I thought were some of the best lines. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not meant to be a comedy, but there are definitely some witty comedic moments. Oh, I mean, I I miss uh, I miss when. Because this felt, it feels like this used to be more of a thing. You know, there was a time when even if your movie wasn't a comedy, but putting, you know, putting some good wit into the movie actually really yeah. enhanced it. It was. And I it was that. before the era where writers would put jokes into the script that basically halt the script in its dead in its tracks just to tell the joke, and then it yeah, starts. Yeah, uh, Bathos. That's what it's called. Bathos. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> recent uh, recently graduated with a master's there you go <laughs> so. oh you bragging about your master's degree <laughs> no that's actually that's actually really cool and i do agree this script is um again it's not comedic it's mm-hmm. it's witty that's a good word for it because there's this is also a film full of witty lines and witty moments mm-hmm. uh, our introduction to draco after the prologue section is one of my favorite bits of the film where um, Pete Postlethwaite sitting on his head trying to get his quill to write and he pokes him, pokes the rock <laughs> and the eye opens. Yeah, and although there's, there's I, even a music sting that goes. Brink, yeah, although brink, that was an ability that Draco never did again. And I'm thinking that would have come in handy at a few points because he's he's a he's a camouflaging like a chameleon. <laughs> Yeah, he has a chameleon effects, and they do use that in some of the. I know they use it in the second film, and they definitely use it in. I think all the sequels, maybe not one of them. I don't recall. I've only seen three, four, and five one time each, but uh, it's definitely an interesting, uh, an interesting ability that you don't like. I I don't. I don't. Pretty sure a dragon had never done that before on camera, where it was. I mean, obviously that was like a thing with CGI, where it just it became the rock and then well in the second film you see him turn into the rock and in this film you see him as the rock and then he becomes real but that moment is played for a laugh and not a one not one that stops the movie dead in its tracks it's a it's a laugh that you know it's 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 a wink at the it's literally a wink at the audience yeah yeah that scene is literally a, a wink. it feels like it's still part of the world mm-hmm. it, it's still mm-hmm. a part of the world as opposed to being a wink at the audience that sort of a thing mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a it's not a moment of, hey, look at this funny thing that just happened. Laugh, audience, laugh. It was it was done a lot more subtly. And I think that's yeah, and a lot more I organically, I would say. Yeah. So mm-hmm. and this so this was interesting because the Bowen, 
uh, played by Dennis Quaid. He's a he's an interesting sort of character. I kind of remembered him being a little before I rewatched this being a little bit more of a you know, more traditional kind of perfect hero because he's you know because I'm thinking of the scene when he is reciting his knight's oath, the old code again with the statue of Arthur, which kind of sort of makes this an Arthurian movie. Sort of, it, it is, but, in, in uh, a way. You know, but it's like it's like a sequel way after he's dead. Yeah, sort that sort of a thing. He's de- Arthur is definitely part of the mythology of this world that we're in, and so I kind of thought of him like that. I had forgotten. We'll get as we'll get into that in a little bit here. That, you know that he he's not quite perfect, but I found out, and I should have remembered this, but I I don't really follow faith based movies. But uh, I read that Mr. Quaid is a Christian, which actually probably explains a little bit of Bowen's characterization. And uh, he's definitely uh, by uh, at the beginning and definitely at the end, he's very much an idealized knight, the uh, mm-hmm. adhering to the Arthurian code. And this is very much an, a redemption story for him, though, because he becomes disillusioned after what happens with Einan, which is actually another bullet point I have here, because Einan and the, uh, this fellow right here is the he doesn't come across as the most obvious person you would expect to be a villain. You know, he's not hmm. big and intimidating and uh, physically anyway. And he is presented at the beginning as this you know, kind of sympathetic character. And But what I think is interesting, uh, I have in here, this is a story where the pupil is the villain and the mentor is the hero, which is a you know, a role reversal we don't see a whole lot of. Although we kind of see this, uh, I, I I put it down wrong. It's actually not the Star Wars sequels. It would be the the prequels. Mm-hmm. Is actually editing it during the live stream. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. He's because so uh, Einan is basically Anakin Skywalker. It, you know, if I could be fair in calling him that, but <laughs> I mean that's that's probably it's, a fair assessment. Yeah, it's it's the same dynamic of. Um, you know, people, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying to, I can English. I swear to God, I can talk. Um, <laughs> wow. Try Teacher. harder, Danny. Inga Lush paper. Must, must center. Um, <laughs> teacher takes on student, student grows in ambition. Ultimately a student become, tr- seeks to become better than master by, you know, turning to a dark side. He lets the dark part of his heart out and it consumes him and he becomes callous and evil and he wants more power. And he ultimately uh, forces the master character out and the, you know, the master character, the teacher um, is presented with the very real, uh, you know, threat of having to like potentially kill or be responsible in the death of this person that he looked at as being like a son, because he does kind of see, cause he's a teacher figure, but he's also a father figure and he considers himself a failure on both fronts. Uh, in this film, he well, sees himself as a teacher who failed a student and as somebody who could be a father when Einan's actual real jerk King father couldn't be there for him. And obviously well, and, they didn't have see, a relationship. And, and, and that's the interesting thing in this because we we see even before he gets Draco's heart that there's a uh, there's a seed of darkness in him already because he's definitely oh, yeah. ambitious and the having Draco's heart only just brings that out just brings more of that out and we realize that Bowen was blind to all of this and he didn't 
see it. So because he's insisting, he, it's the same dynamic. Yeah, Obi Wan, because he yeah, kept saying thing. to Draco, "Oh no, no, you know he's a good man. I've trained him. You know I've taught him all these things." And he didn't realize until afterward that <laughs> that he was wrong the entire time. And sounds the implication seems to be that Einan is twice the tyrant that his father was. <laughs> yeah, he 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 uh, rose to become. You know, and, and that's literally at the beginning of the movie where uh, Bowen is watching with Einan, uh the the raising of a village at the hands of the king. And he says, remember the code, boy, and remember that you can be greater than your father. But when Einan says, I promise you, I will be greater. The two of them are talking about two different things. Bowen dreams that his apprentice will be a better man, a better person yeah. than his father. But Einan's interpretation of I will be greater is I will be more powerful. I will have more power. I will do things that my father didn't do and wouldn't do in order to get that power. He was weak where I will be strong. Yes. And, uh, and Bowen is, doesn't see that. And he thinks that he failed him until he finally finds out that, uh, th that that's not the case. And that Einan was always this wicked soul. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a very, it's a very sad story on that front in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, like I said, creates a, a an interesting dynamic when you have this very idealistic character who, you know, the mentor, and then he swears what seems like, you know, would be his goal for the entire movie, uh, but he kind of lose sight, uh, loses sight of that even because he says, I'm going to kill all, I'm going to find the dragon whose heart did this to him, which is creates another, it's such an interesting piece of the world in this because it plays around with this traditional idea of, how we, at least as Westerners, it's a little bit different in Eastern culture, how we see dragons, which are these heartless, nasty, hoarding monsters. You're, you're Smaug, you know, mm -hmm. in The Hobbit, you know, hoarding treasure and all of that. And people do see dragons like that in this world where the, but the truth is that at least in this movie, I don't know about the other ones, uh, dragons are actually noble creatures, but they are seen as evil. So Bowen says, I'm going to kill the dragon who did this. And then, but then he just goes around and just starts killing all of them. But then he loses sight of that goal and it becomes less about avenging Einan against this dragon. It just becomes about how can I make money killing dragons for people? So he becomes this, yeah. you know, basically a, a dragon bounty hunter. <laughs> you know, dragon dragons in this world are benevolent like uh, benevolent, um, uh, what's uh, balance keepers? I guess if mm -hmm. I guess you could say, mm -hmm. um, the, they were they maintain the balance of uh, of the land and the, and nature and and that's what they sort of represent as they they represent this supernatural force keeping everything in balance. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I I venture to say, and this is probably a little bit extreme, but them but man hunting down dragons is uh, man hunting down dragons in this. Uh, story is sort of them killing um, uh, what is what is the word I'm looking for? Um, help me out, Danny. Um, well, it's uh, what's what's the maybe I can figure out the word. What's the the point that you're you're going for? That it's some uh, kind of hubris or yeah, there, it's yeah. man, it's man's hubris uh, killing the only good thing, keeping everything in balance. Mm. Mm. A desire on man's part to 
position himself above the mystical wiseness of the universe, mm-hmm. right? You know, of the it, world, they, because Draco says later that dragons existed before human beings. Dragons are very, very ancient. Vague dragons are very ancient, and they've yeah. they've been around forever. They had their own culture, apparently, in a lot of ways. Maybe not civilization, but culture, mm-hmm. and their own spiritual and religious beliefs, which we'll talk yeah, about a little yeah, bit later. Which but we will um, talk about because that becomes yeah. uh, integral to Draco's for character sure. and his but, motivation. But, but yeah, like having the the dragons be this is such an interesting film on on that level because um I came into seeing this film as a kid because I was then and still am obsessed with dragons. Mm-hmm. Um I love dragon movies, I love dragon books, I love m- dragon mythology, uh just anything to do with dragons and um the disparity of how they're and how they're portrayed in different cultures because when you look at a film like Dragonheart which is obviously supposed to be this medieval European kind of story wherein i mean basically the template for that is saint george yes. the saint george dragon where there are saint, these saint these, the these these uh you know treasure hoarding women stealing like you know cr- creatures that come from hell to, yeah, they're, like, they're just they're horrible you know but then you have the west the the eastern uh you know view of dragons where they are a lot more like how draco is spiritually and in terms of his um personality in this film where they're wise they often speak they have magical powers. They guide humanity. Um, so it, it, I, I see Draco as an intersection between those two. He's kind of like a perfect mixture between the uh, legend of St. George's dragon and the legend of uh, Hong Shi, who is the first emperor of China, who, according to uh, mythology, upon uh, you know deciding that it was his time to depart this mortal coil, transformed into a great dragon and flew off into the sky. And it was apparently this dragon in the form of China's first emperor that uh, gave humanity things like writing, calligraphy, um, you know, written and spoken languages, uh, art, um, things, you know, religion, uh, fireworks, <laughs> all kinds, all kinds of, I mean, all kinds of stuff according wait, wait, to wait, wait, wait. That mythology. Did he yeah. belch the fireworks? Is that what he <laughs> yeah. He, he just, yeah. A, a bunch of, um, a, a bunch of 4th of July firecrackers, not, they didn't explode out of his mouth. He just opened his mouth and a bunch of like bottle rockets fell out. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't nearly as majestic as you might think it is. But, more like, more like Molotov cocktails. <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. But, According to that mythology, all that stuff came from a dragon that looked at humanity and said, I would like to teach the people these things. Um, And it's almost like they took that idea of a wise, ancient dragon with great wisdom and, um, you know, mystical powers and uh, a connection to the heavens and to the stars and kind of took it and put it into the body of a traditional European style, um, you know, uh, six limbed two, you know, two arms, two legs two wings, six limbed European dragon. Mm-hmm. And it's like they combined the two in a way. And then they give it Sean Connery's voice, which is inspired. Yes. Uh, you know, yes it it's, is. it's a cool, it's a cool mixture of the two. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, so then my next talking point, I, it's actually the, uh, you had hinted at it already, Danny, but the introduction of Draco, mm-hmm. which I actually think was really good. Oh, because so uh, he's yeah. just he's in the shadows and you don't get a full body shot of him. You get a couple of close ups, but you don't get to see him fully. And it really uh, creates mystique around the character. And it's the per- at that point, he's not he's he's more than a presence. But it, since you're not really seeing him, the entire scene is being carried by Connery's performance. And it's all the stars shining tonight. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's 
you're make they're making the audience wait because obviously it's Dragonheart. We know there's a dragon in it, so uh -huh. they're they're drawing out the suspense by not revealing Draco immediately. Mm -hmm. you, you see, you see what is it? You see a couple of eyes and a claw and his chest and his chest, and that's it. Yeah, you don't get the full body reveal until much, much later uh, during the great duel scene. I think that's what people call it, but the the duel between Bowen and uh, uh, Draco. Oh, Draco! I okay. That entire sequence is a plus. Oh yeah, like, yeah. We'll get and we'll get to that. Now yeah, the, stale, the stalemate, the stalemate. Oh, say okay. that. oh yeah. yes, the stalemate. But yeah, uh, and here's the thing, and we've we've been hinting at it, and I have to say. I know from what I was reading online, a lot of critics just thought that this script was kind of cliche, and I can sort of see that, but the whole concept of this movie is really unlike any other fantasy story that I can think of, correct me if I'm wrong, but the whole concept of a dragon giving half of his heart to a human to spare his life that's such a great idea. And then, like I said, you know, it plays on the idea of, you know, did the, did the heart corrupt him because he's, it's a dragon or did it just bring out the wickedness that was already there? It, it creates such a wonderful dynamic, but yeah, you know, I've not seen a story quite like this anywhere else, but you know, if either of you guys can think of something remotely close, I would love to know. <laughs> Well, there's I don't I can't think of anything that's an approximation. And there are stories in mythology of the gods gifting humanity with uh, with with pieces of themselves and weapons and things that come from them. And then uh, it's it falls upon humanity or the, the specific person that's been given that thing to either use it for good or for evil. Um, I and again, this is it all comes back to Harryhausen in my brain. But I think of Clash of the Titans. with yes. um, mm -hmm. Zeus commanding uh, three of his his gods to bestow upon Perseus three heavenly weapons mm -hmm. and uh, they just kind of hope he uses them right. And he honestly doesn't really, I mean, he, he uses the, sh the helmet to mess around. He doesn't really do anything that that he, he listens to Calabas with it, but he doesn't actually like, and then he loses it. He kind of wasted that. And then he, um, he ends up using the shield for exactly the reason that Zeus told him to use it. He used it in a wise way. Um, mm -hmm. And there are other, there are other stories out there from around mythology of like a piece of something greater than man, some kind of God or some kind of beast saying, look, here's this thing that I'm giving you. Here's a part of myself in, in some way. Um, and some of those things do corrupt, but th there's nothing that's quite the approximation of the mythology that's presented in this film, wherein dragons have this implied uh, symbiotic relationship with humans, almost like they're, you know, the, the other half of some kind of a long standing relationship where, okay, if you mess up, we're here to give you another chance. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you, you better not mess it up. Uh, because this is, I mean, the Draco's, the half of Draco's heart is a gift of the gods in this mm -hmm. film. That's mm -hmm. what it is. And, um, in, you know, in, in, in so much as looking at it from the perspective of, you know, I am a deity or some kind of higher being. And I, I'm giving you this gift and you better, you know, you, this is, it's your choice how to use it. It's out of my hands. I can feel bad about it, but there's nothing I can do. You have to be a good person or a wicked person. Um, you know, it, it kind of, it applies here in, in an interesting way, but it's not, you know, in terms of it being like the heart of a dragon, this is, you know, this was a very original idea. Yeah. This is a very original, unique idea that I've 
I haven't even really seen, and it might be out there, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I don't think I've seen it since. No. You know, I don't uh, think not, so. Not quite like this. Not quite like I this. to say. Uh, and then the next note I have on here is this is one of the lines where, you know, Bowen says, no one is above the code. And I broke uh, as my parallel. You were my brother, Anakin. <laughs> it's basically the same moment. <laughs> I love uh, that. That scene in Revenge of the Sith. I, I get emotional during that scene. I'm not afraid to admit it. It just breaks my heart. Yeah. It just breaks my heart. Yeah, and it's it, sad in this movie, too. It's that moment where the teacher realizes he's lost his student. Yeah. And he and a father realizes he's lost his son. Mm -hmm. It's the same like I said before it's the same it's the same dynamic and it's uh and what really always kills me about the Dragonheart uh sequence where that happens where he says, you know, the king is above the code and he tackles him off the horse and says, "Have you forgotten everything I've told you?" Mm -hmm. No one. No one is above the code and he 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 hugs him. He hugs yes. him close. And the entire time Einan has this look on his face of like like he, like you pathetic man you you used to be my teacher and i'm so above you oh, now i got what i wanted what i needed I got, from you i got what i wanted from you and i don't care and that's what he says later in the movie too which we'll, we'll get to but he literally at later in the movie looks at him and says i got what i needed from you yeah um which basically it, that breaks my heart too mm -hmm. i mean that's just it's just imagine being a, a teacher slash father figure and the person that you dedicated your life to and tried to pass on your teachings to just looked at you as a means to an end yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a little horrifying. It, it is. Uh, yeah. And then uh, this is actually, you guys probably can't see it very well. And I don't know, did you guys have any of the Dragonheart toys? I, because I, uh, them, I yeah. put this down here because I, I said, it always annoyed me as a kid that there were other dragons as part of the toy line and they are not in the movie. <laughs> They're not in the movie. They're not even in the sequels. So nope. I did not know that Dragonheart was merchandised like at all when I first saw the film, the only thing I I had in my collection for the longest time was a a, a tape of of uh, obviously the first film, and then I recorded Dragonheart two off of pay per view when I was like I don't know ten, so I mean, it was it was a long time ago. But that's I mean still to this day I don't have a lot of physical Dragonheart stuff in my collection, uh, and I only found out that the toys existed a few years ago and my brain exploded. I uh, I. I, I w if I ever find one in a thrift store, I'm going to have to get it. And it, it, yeah. and this isn't a, this is, and this is a funny story. This is not a toy, but, um, a few years ago I had the opportunity to bid on an original Phil Tippett Draco maquette for oh, the production geez. of the film. Uh, and it was more affordable than you think it would be, uh, wow. considering what it is. And I don't think, I mean, maybe I think somebody got it eventually, but nobody else was interested. And I just kind of watched it at this auction forever and nobody cared. You know, like nobody gave a nobody gave a, a a crud about it, and I was like, "Oh, come on!" I want, and I did. I didn't get it because I was uh, flat broke at the time, and obviously couldn't afford it. If it had happened a few years later, I probably would have snapped it up. But uh, hopefully, it went to a good home. But I did, I did almost get a a, a, a production maquette, and that I would have been. Ah, uh, that so would have been incredible, but no, uh, I, there were at least, I found two of them. I remember there being two of them. This was the, these were the two that I found just doing a quick Google search for some images mm -hmm. on here. One is called the Medusa dragon, interestingly. And then the other one is mm. called the razor thorn. So razor thorn. Now that's a cool name. I, uh, I ended up making my own stuff, uh, from it because when I was a kid and there weren't toys of the movies I liked, I made, I made my own out of like clay and styrofoam and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I had like just generic dragon toys that I pretended was Draco. And, mm -hmm. uh, at a certain point when I was a kid, I, um, I actually sculpted a model of the heart that separated into two halves. And, ah. uh, 
that I that I would uh, I I don't know what the heck I like, I made it and then I was like cool now what yeah huh. like what what do I do with this thing now so I I it's in a box somewhere yeah. I don't think I ever got rid of it but yeah. I do have a dra- I do have a dragon heart somewhere yeah there, but, uh, there, and there uh, from what I was seeing online they do have figures of the characters at least a couple of them I know there's mm-hmm. one for Bowen for sure and there, there's an and, and out there's, there somewhere. Uh, and there's a big figure about the same size as this of Draco. At yes. the very least, so well, there's there's a jumbo size. There's like a there's a ten incher or a twelve inch figure of big. Draco. Yeah, it's big. Uh, yeah, it's it's impressive. I remember seeing it on the shelf. I'm like you, Danny. I remember I remember the stuff, but I don't recall ever desiring it at the time. So I just did not. I just did not pick it up. Yeah, kicking myself now. Yeah. So moving on to the my next set of talking points, the believe it or not, despite the fact that this got mediocre reviews, you know, lukewarm reviews from critics, it actually won several awards, including, and it's interesting to talk about this, it won the Oscar for Best Visual Effects. And, yeah. and see, and let's park here for a little bit because this is a, it's a big draw for the movie. It's not just that it's Sean Connery and it's a dragon, but it's the special effects. So... I initially, before I rewatched it and I was just checking out the trailers and all that, I wasn't sure how the, well, the special effects were going to hold up. But now looking at this, I'm like, okay, so it won the Oscar for best special effects. Now, on the other hand, I see special effects. This was state of the art at the time, but I've seen, unfortunately, now I see special effects of this caliber in asylum movies. <laughs> Which I, is just a testament to how much technology has advanced, I think, since then. But what I think separates the effects in here when they were, you know, they were fresh and new is that this definitely had a lot more care put into them than any of these low budget asylum or otherwise movies that might have stuff that looks about the same 20 well, years they had, later. They had ILM and Phil Tippett doing it. So uh, they, they could linger on the, the effect shots for more than two seconds. Yes, uh, most definitely. Asylum. But the, how do you guys feel that, how do you feel about the effects in this now it's mostly cgi but there are a few points where we have some practical the uh the stalemate scene which i have a a a screenshot here of that that actually had some practical effects in it that was a hybrid scene that was a hybrid scene with a physical mouth teeth articulated animatronic tongue and real saliva which was disgusting and then they animated they animated draco's skin and face and eyes and all that stuff and a little bit of his neck around the practical prop because they wanted to have something for Dennis Quaid to stick the sword into. And that's a great idea. Now that I honestly, in terms of the, the visual effects, I don't see them as poor at all. I mean, I think they were slightly below, um, like s- s- close to and slightly below ish the Jurassic Park range. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, the, like I gotta Jurassic say, Park. out of all of the '90s CGI creature features. Jurassic Park holds up the best. I don't know. I I don't know what strange voodoo Mm -hmm. they had working on Jurassic Park, but the the effects in Jurassic Park really do hold up. I can tell you. I can tell you. They took a long time to work on Jurassic Park. Nowadays, I mean, ILM basically said, listen, we've got like a a year plus, maybe two years. I don't know how long the pre-production was on Jurassic Park, but they they basically said, we are going to 
dedicate ourselves entirely to this movie and we're going to make it look good. Mm -hmm. And the fact is that movie is, oh my God, almost 30 years old now. And it's still, there are some shots in that film that look better than some blockbuster CG films do today. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for sure. I think honestly, there are shots in the two Jurassic World films, CG shots that don't look as good as some of the CG shots in Jurassic Park. Um, well, that, not, it, it's, not, it's because they lot. look. It's because they look CG, and it's they're obviously CG. they look CG, and it, it's not just the fact that like you know I was I saw Jurassic Park and it blew my mind when I was a kid, and it's not just nostalgia talking. They literally spent all this time on that film, and uh, ILM didn't cut corners. They were really into it. Um, nowadays, ILM has to do blockbuster, like, I don't know, three or four blockbuster films worth of, uh, CG every year, sometimes Basically. more. Yeah. Um, and they, they have their, their facilities are so huge. They've got like three Marvel movies they have to do. They've got, they do movies for everyone. And sometimes they, they do more. I mean, sometimes they do like 10 plus movies every year, even if they just do touchups on another person's yeah. work. Like, let's say they're doing, um, like, uh, one movie is using, a visual effects from Framestore or Weta over in uh, England or New Zealand, respectively. And then they send it over to ILM to do touch-ups. Like somebody mm-hmm. at ILM might do touch-ups on a, a character's eyeball and then they'll send it off somewhere else. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, uh, according, to, according to so, uh, the research I did for my episode a couple months ago, ILM did at least some work on Godzilla versus Kong. Yes, they did. So, yes, they did. Yeah, so I think mean, about that's, that, that's and Weta did cool. as well. So we have a movie that had both Weta and ILM working on it. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's funny because ILM's connection to Godzilla goes all the way back to the uh, the um, Charles Barkley uh, yes. commercial with the suit that they made, um, yeah. which is so cool that they've now kind of come full circle. That's off topic. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The, um, Dra- Dra- I mean, Dragonheart's visual effects are pretty darn outstanding. And there are some, especially the scenes where um, Draco is in or around water. I find to be really, really good. I was, Mm -hmm. uh, Um, that was going to be the telltale for me. It was how well Draco can interact with the environment. Cause it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not like a modern blockbuster where they have a blue screen. They filmed this on location. It was filmed in Slovakia, I looked that up because the yes. scenery in this yeah. is pretty nice. Now it's what not a beautiful scenery. It's scene. not a. It's, a it's not a scenery movie. It's not a Lord of the Rings where it's mm. almost like a three-hour commercial to get people to come visit you know, New Zealand. But <laughs> uh, but it, it, I it, the, inter- the interaction with the environment was the telltale, and I was surprised at how good that it looked. Now on the, I will admit. Despite the fact that the the effects for me do hold up, I think a large part of why the effects hold up a little bit better than I was expecting, I think credit has to be given to Sir Sean because that performance carries a lot of the effects in this, especially with how incredibly good that lip sync is with Draco. I was shocked how good the lip sync was in this. Cause I freaked out when I saw how good the lip sync was with Benedict Cumberbatch in, well, for Smaug in the Hobbit movies. This was 20 years before that. And it still looks really mm-hmm. good. This was a film yeah. that, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Michael. I was going to say, oh, I was going to say, I, <laughs> yeah, we'll I, do like, it live. <laughs> <laughs> I, when, you know, when Travis and I review movies and we talk about them on the podcast, I like to take things in context of when they were made and trying to keep in con, trying to think about the technology they had at the time. Now there are the podcasts that like to uh, complain and moan 
about, oh, the CGI is not as good as it is. Well, but you're comparing a 25-year-old movie to one made yeah. two months ago. You're, you're, two trying, months ago. you're trying to – this would be like – this would yes. literally be just purely from a technical standpoint comparing this to Smaug in – it's not uh, fair. And uh, Battle of Five Armies. Because he's it's in because ba- Smaug is in Battle of Five Armies for about 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. It, Seconds. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not fair. So, you know, given the technology they had at the time, I mean, I would say that this is outside of outside of Jurassic Park, which which is really kind of an anomaly as to as to how good it is uh for the for like mid to early early to mid nineties. This has to be – there's a reason why this film won Best Special Effects Oscar. Yes. Because it is good. Draco interacts with the environment so well. And like, and now, like you said, Nathan, now they have blue screen and green screen doing all the scenery. And so it's a lot easier to have a CGI character interact with because they can do all that stuff digitally and make sure it looks good. You know, there's a special kind of art to – meshing together natural scenery and a CGI entity that takes some real skill and some mm-hmm. like just some real balls really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Dragonheart really pulls it off here and makes it believable. And like you said, Nathan, the real telltale sign usually is how interact, not just interacts with the scenery, but interacts with water because water is constantly moving. Yeah. Water, water is, is wa- notoriously difficult to animate, mm-hmm. particularly yeah. in a computer. It is ridiculously difficult to animate because right. there's a quality to water that is, it's difficult for a computer. Nowadays, it's a heck of a lot easier, but it's very difficult for a computer to deal with and calculate and to make it look right. But most of it's AI now. Most of this thing yeah. that, that you see in movies now is they just they just plug it into the computer and the computer does all of the predictive work um, on where something's going to move, what it's going to look like. But yeah. back in mm-hmm. the, back when this film was made, again, yeah. just a few years after Jurassic Park, the, all of that stuff had to be keyframed. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to do that yes. one bit at a time. Yeah, if this is, uh, yeah, going back to Smaug, they mo-capped Benedict Cumberbatch for mm-hmm. his performance with Smaug. They didn't have that back then. I, I imagine what they were probably doing is watching Connery in the sound booth and then keyframing it to match it, to match Draco's face up with his. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess. I haven't looked into it that deeply, but that would, you know, because they didn't have the uh, the mocap technology like they do now. But we're, we keep comparing this to Jurassic Park, but there's one, I think, and we've already, I've already hinted at it. There's one very important thing that separates this and probably why, even though from a technical standpoint, it, you know, this may not be quite on par with Jurassic Park, but there's one very important thing that separates Draco from all of those dinosaurs, and that's that Draco is an actual character. And like I said before, yeah. this you know, th- this special effects lean heavily on Connery's performance, and it really elevates this. This showed that not only can you make monsters, you know, or animals, because the, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park are not really monsters per se, they're animals. But this showed that not only can you do that, you can make a CGI character and it works. Mm-hmm. You know, again, this is before Lord of the Rings, you know, and, uh, you know, before, uh, 
Gollum was really the first CGI character that people were like, oh my gosh, we can use this technology and we can make a real character with it. I'm like, well, did, did you did you forget about Draco? I mean, <laughs> it worked with Draco. And you know, it's it's also still a couple of years before the infamous <laughs> Jar Jar Binks. You know, <laughs> another attempt at making a CGI character. Look, oh man, I watched uh, Rabbit Trail. I watched that movie not too long ago. Oh, it looks so awful. Like the way Jar Jar interacts with the environment yeah, is just it's, it's, Jar Jar looks dated now. <laughs> it's it's not good. And but, again, I'm I'm breaking my own rule. I'm comparing it to what we see now. Mm-hmm. But back but back in the day, Jar Jar was probably like, oh my god, that's amazing, you know, just same as Draco. Like, it was. I'm when I was a kid, uh, and Phantom Menace came out, and you have to I'm I'm a little younger than you guys, so I was um about six or seven when uh, Phantom Menace came out and I didn't know how they did Jar Jar. And I thought it was a guy in a suit, you know, hmm. I didn't, I had no frame of reference for what else it could be other than a guy in a suit. Uh, and I, and then I saw behind the scenes photos of Ahmed best with that, the suit that he wore on that with the, the stupid Jar Jar head on top of his head. Um, and I, I, uh, I'm one of those rare people that, that does not despise Jar Jar. I it's don't, a, I don't hate Jar Jar either. No, so, you know, high five t- to the not Jar Jar haters. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Don't tell, uh, the monster Island film vault version of you or, or Jimmy. Oh no, no, uh, no, no. It's just Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy is the only one who hates the prequels. Oh, I, uh, I thought Nate you both is okay, okay with mind. the prequels. <laughs> well then that's that, that works fine. But still, I mean, honestly, still to this day, um, Jar Jar exists as, you know, watching that film, a really interesting snapshot of what was, what they were experimenting with because they were working on Jar Jar tech at the same time they were working on, uh, <laughs> dragon heart, you know, cause that the pre-production on the prequels went all the way back, but honestly, still looking back on it all this, all this time later, um, I think Draco deserves a spot on the list of breakthrough visual effect characters. Mm-hmm. Because he was a he was a milestone in a lot of ways. Uh, King Kong was the first big one, um, and also that, noteworthy because again, a special effect that is a character, a special effect that is a character. I'd put Godzilla on that list. Yes, honestly, uh, for hundred yeah. percent, I'd put um, Gollum and Smaug on that list as well. Um, and I think Draco, I think Draco should be on there too because that was one of the first times they keyframed full three-dimensional lip sync onto mm-hmm. a character yeah and the, again uh, like uh, i'm i'm 200 on michael's uh page here because i don't i don't i've never liked looking at something and saying oh well that holds up because then you're you're comparing it to something 10 20 30 40 years yeah. later on down the line yeah. like i don't see that i don't personally i mean i if that's your thing that's fine but like for me i i don't see the point in it it's just nothing's gonna nothing's going to 100% hold up. I mean, who looks at the original King Kong and says the effects don't hold up. That's missing the point. Yeah. Right. You know, that's completely missing the point. And to me, Dragonheart is so far in the rearview mirror at this point. It's weird to think about how far back in the rearview mirror it is, but it's, it's gotten to that point now where CGI from that era, mid nineties to late nineties has its own unique flavor and should really, I, and I kind of consider it its own, its own brand of thing. Like I consider Willis O'Brien's version of stop motion to be its own thing. Harry Housen's to be its own thing. Uh, the Phil Tippett's and Jim Danforth's of the world have their own stop motion. And then there's 
like the early 90s, mid 90s CG, the Jurassic Park, Lost World, this film, uh, Godzilla 98 even would fit into that category. Um, oh, something like sure. Independence Day the, the fits in. The effects in this hold up way better than Godzilla 98. <laughs> no, it does. It does. Uh, this film is definitely has... It's yeah, for sure. I mean, I have nothing else to add to that. It's yeah. definitely, I mean, better film, better visual effects. And yeah. um, the only time I can think of, uh, you know, pre the modern era where you can just, you know, you can mocap a person's mm-hmm. face to get perfect expressions on CGI characters. And this is, was not a CGI character, but the, uh, but I was thinking of this occasionally watching this movie in terms of the lip sync. And uh, to be honest, it's actually even more astonishing in this other movie because it was a practical effect. And that would be Audrey 2 in Little oh, Shop of Horrors yeah. because mm. that puppet mm. has almost perfect lip sync. And it's just astonishing. I still can't like, oh my God, whenever I watch it, and I know how they did it now, you know, but when I was younger, I didn't, I was like, how do you do that? It's completely 100%, like it's, it's 100% real. It's tangible. It moves perfectly. They did it so good. I mean, the fact that Rick Moranis had to act as, at a certain pace, a certain speed while he was in the room with that thing. Yeah. Because of yeah. how slow it was moving. And that's what's interesting because the, the, um, the actors interactions with Draco are pretty astonishing. And then they actually did some things with Draco that wasn't just simply, you know, bl- blowing fire in terms of uh, his actual interaction. It's not just flying around doing the cool stuff, but mm-hmm. the, you know, he's blowing fire on certain things. He's starting a campfire and, the you know he's speaking but then they even they even have a scene where he's singing with Kara (laughs) we dragons love to sing when we're happy yes I mean so they're doing other things with him that you won't didn't necessarily expect it's wonderful like and he he gesticulates so well like when when Bowen rides up and he looks at he does the death thing across the I always think of Galaxy Quest. I gave you the kill gesture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, he does. He does that, and he even talks out of the side of his mouth, away from her at one point. Yeah, it's and just... it's he's based. He is a person. Like he is a person in that scene. Like they, and that's one hundred percent visual. Yeah, effects. and and I gotta say, the actors. I mean, this is you know still relatively early on in terms of at least with mm-hmm. CGI. I mean, there have been other movies where actors had to interact with a special effect, you know, and pretend it was there and stuff like that. But there, I was surprised how good they were the, you know, in this. And I do have one quick little note here. I'm just throwing it out there. You know, Dinah Meyer is a beautiful woman. I'm just throwing that out there. You know, just, oh, she's, she's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, just, uh, just a gorgeous woman. And something I should have brought this up earlier. We kind of hinted at it. The it's interesting that with uh, brother Gilbert, I uh, put down as like, you know, he, uh, in, in this movie, we have big dang hero with a scrawny sidekick, which is actually a trope. It's a pretty common trope, especially a lot of fantasy films. Uh, the most, the first example that comes to my mind would be the first Conan with Arnold when he has the little Asian guy with him <laughs> played by uh, Mako. <laughs> well, it's even, it goes back to even further than that too. With uh, I think beauty and the Be- the original beauty and the beast cartoon is uh, had that, had that trope too. What I can, mm-hmm. the name, the names of the, of the, the hero, the, the buff hero and Gaston. The little, <laughs> Gast, yeah, Gaston and the, uh, his little sidekick, his little mm. French sidekick. Yeah. Uh, come to mind. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a trope. 
Yeah, it is definitely a trope. And now, well, we'll save more of this discussion for later when we get into what came after this. But uh, I find it funny that Draco says he's the last dragon. And then I'm like, yeah, tell that to the sequel and the three prequels. But <laughs> well, there, there is an explanation yeah. and I will get to it. Yeah. I will get to it. Maybe maybe the Draco got busy before. Hey, I'm just saying. He's notoriously uh, randy. He is randy. When you're a dragon with Sean Connery's voice, I'm pretty sure you're prop. You're popular with the lady dragons. I'm just saying. <laughs> Singing's not the only thing dragons do when we're happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it's a family show, remember? Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Although I did just really, as of this broadcast, I did, I did just release an episode about a movie with a zero G sex scene in it. And so, yeah, it's true. You did. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You uh, went into great detail too. It was amazing. Uh, <laughs> it was like a, a 20 uh, minute segment uh, on, uh, on the Jimmy, zero gravity uh, love yeah, scene. Yeah, Jimmy yeah. loved that. I had to turn uh, it off. I was blushing, yeah. man. It was yeah. a little hot. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy loved well, that part of the I don't movie. Know, I don't saying. know if blushing yeah. is what you would call I was doing. But. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, was so, uh, and we've already, uh, my next slide, uh, we've covered a couple of these points already. <laughs> I just want to throw this out there since we're talking about uh, Sir Sean's uh, performance. I love how he says the name Draco. Draco. He just, he, it's, ah, it, it's so smooth and just like, wow. <laughs> I mean, but this, uh, Sean Connery is one of those guys where you could, the joke is, you know, <laughs> they have the kind of voice where you could give them the phone book to read and it would still be yeah, entertaining. I, you know, him, him, Liam Neeson and uh, Idris Elba. I will let them. Patrick's I will let all oh, three Idris of those. Yeah, Patrick I would Stewart. let all three of those men read me the phone book. Any hey, day. hey, Patrick Stewart. You got to put Patrick. Patrick Stewart. Stewart. Oh, um, I'd also, and I'm old school, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go all the way back to Claude Rains because I'm a big oh, Invisible okay. Man fan. Uh, okay. And uh, I would let that crazy man read from me for the phone book. Any uh, day. Oh wait, um, the the guy who was in all the horror movies and he did the voice, famously did the voiceover in Thriller. Uh, I feel terrible. I can't remember. Oh, his name. Vince. Vincent Price. Vincent Price. Yeah, that guy. Perhaps the best horror yeah. voice of all time. I mean, my yeah, hero, he, my wasn't hero, a, he wasn't in a lot of good movies, but my, but good Lord, does he, ha does he have a wonderful oh, he voice? Was, he was in some, watch the Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe movies. Those are tops. Actually, mm -hmm. I just discovered one, at least one of those on Tubi and it was added to my queue. So <laughs> watch, uh, if you can find Pit and the Pendulum, that's the one, either that or uh, House of Usher. I mean, they're all good, yeah. but watch one of those two to get yourself started, and you will want to watch every single one of them. They are the best things Roger Corman ever put his name on, uh, for starters. And um, yeah, they're very good. Also, before we move on, uh, since we're talking about James Bond, um, Idris Elba has my vote for next James Bond. That oh, would be kind of nice. Hundred percent. I will. I will. I. Uh, I want to see him do it. I mean, I'm not like you know. If, if it's not him, I'm not going to like lose my mind. Like, Oh my God, how could you, but he's so perfect for the role. He's got that great accent, that deep voice, good looking dude. Mm -hmm. He he's, he's James Bond. Make Idris Elba, James Bond, yeah. please. Yeah. Please. Yeah. You please heard it here. You heard it here, folks. If uh, it happens, then, uh, then I'm going to look, I'm, I'm going to look like a genius. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it just would make more, it would just make perfect sense. Oh, it's mm -hmm. such a good, it's such good casting. It's so perfect. Idris Elba, please be James Bond. Mm -hmm. Oh I mean, my God. You, you, oh, have to know they're, you have to know they're already thinking about it. Oh, they have they, to. They, they, There's they no way they're not. I've heard Tom Hiddleston's on the short list. He'd be fine. Eh, but, I, mean, I would, but, I would but, accept but, Tom Hiddleston. Like he'd be fine. He'd be fine. But Idris Elba. 
Yeah. Come on, please. Yes. Like, that's so, that's so perfect. I love that dude. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've talked about Connery and the script and all that. Another one of my, uh, one of my favorite lines. And I have to think this, <laughs> this is a very nice, this had to have been, you know, a little bit of a rip from the headlines, sort of a joke, mid nineties and all of that, uh, <laughs> where, <laughs> Uh, Bowen is trying to, is trying to get him to, you know, at the very least pretend to eat Kara as part of one of his uh, schemes, you know, uh, his get rich quick schemes, and he says, "No, I won't do that." It's like, well, you ate those other dragon slayers, like, and then he says, "I merely chewed in self defense. I never swallowed." <laughs> what a brilliant line! <laughs> Which and that makes is... me think of the whole of the Bill Clinton thing, where someone asked him if he'd ever done weed, and he said, "I did, but I did not inhale." <laughs> it's like i'm getting off on a technicality you know that feel that honestly feels like uh like that was intentional and i've always wondered if if that was a reference to something from the period but because it's a it's but it fits it's not one of those like jokes that sticks out in an awkward way where it's like oh because 1996 no it uh no it it feels it i always it's one of my favorite witty lines as we were saying before from the film i, I merely chewed in self-defense that's brilliant man it's just it's so funny and he it says feel, it completely again, it feels, sincerely it feels it feels very natural and you know i actually kind of like I, I you know i'm speaking a little bit as a writer here and kind of a word nerd as i like to say but i actually one of the things i appreciate about this script is that it has a little bit of a kind of an elevated diction to fit with the time period. It doesn't go like Shakespearean or old or a middle English or anything like that, but the diction for these characters is a little bit more elevated. They don't necessarily talk like modern people. And you really notice it with Draco. I feel like Draco's diction is a little bit more elevated than the rest of the characters to communicate through his diction that he is this wise old creature. So mm -hmm. I, I, he has, I really an, he has a wisdom. He has an art in a kind of an Arthurian era wisdom to him. Not quite ancient. He has ancient knowledge, but his he has this eloquent, slightly older. Uh, he's a gentleman. Of, yes. Yes. Yeah, he's a gentleman. He feels yes. like a, he feels like a warrior and a, a warrior and a gentleman. Yes. Um, yes. Yes, yeah, uh, which goes along with my next point that I had on here, which is, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've already talked about it a little bit before. And for those of you who are wondering, I do have the old code you know, written out on a slide for us to read. But the, I love, I call that there's a point later when Bowen has his, uh, you know, his uh, turning point, so to speak. And mm. I called it his uh, come to Arthur moment. <laughs> Nice, <laughs> nice. Come to Jesus, because he. That's he, awesome. Because he, the implication is, because they go to Avalon, the actual Avalon where Arthur was laid to rest, and where they, I think it's supposed to be where they had the table with for with his knights and everything. Yeah. So it's basically this holy place, and yeah. the implication is Bowen meets the ghost of Arthur <clears throat> and meeting the ghost of Arthur brings him to the point where he renews his vows as a knight and reclaims the ideals that he had lost. Mm -hmm. And it's this, it's actually, to be honest, I think it's a wonderful mm -hmm. moment. Some people might see it as a little bit cliche, but yeah, it to which I say, I mean, you are all a bunch of cynics. <laughs> It works. I mean, I don't, I, I don't mind uh, a little bit of cliche now and then because, you know, what people call cliche, 
often is the thing that works the best. And yeah, it's and the I, most I think cliche has garnered a little bit of a of a bad reputation. I mean, and I, and I'm speaking a little bit from experience. One of the things that was it was a little bit annoying. It was challenging, but also a little bit annoying. Which I took a poetry writing class when I was uh, getting my master's degree, and I really wanted to because it was a form of writing that I had dabbled in, but had never actually been instructed on how to do it, and. The instructor, I love him. He was one of my favorite professors at grad school, but he was staunchly anti-cliche unless you could put an interesting new spin on it. And his definition of cliche was basically, if you've heard it somewhere before, it's probably a cliche. <laughs> so, Good I, luck creating anything. Yeah, point, basically. Right? But the, the thing is, is that I, there's a difference between a cliche and a trope. And this feels more like a trope as opposed to a cliche where a cliche is something that is really tired and it's overused and it no longer. And this was true when we talked about it in those poetry classes, it has something that's been used to the point where it no longer has any impact and you just kind of gloss over it. And, but that's different than a trope, which is something that gets, as you mentioned, Michael is something that you can do in a story and people will keep doing it because it works. You know, it does not lose its resonance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a, a moment like this for a character, particularly a character like Bowen, I still think it works. And, you know, the fact that it is Arthur, I think, you know, is, you know there's something to be said for that. And I put this down because it's so weird to think when you think about the period in which this was made and we're talking about the effects a little bit, but... I'm sure the daylight battles crowd must love this thing because we do get full-blown shots, long shots too, of Draco and sunlight. So you can all shut up. <laughs> I mean, in my personal opinion, I think Draco would look better under the lights of Hong Kong, but that's just... <laughs> you just... Only because you want to get that deluxe... You know, only sold at Walmart. The for Walmart five exclusive Draco uh, Funko variant Pop. Funko Draco. You know? if, if they made a Draco Funko Pop, and let's face it, that's the only thing Funko hasn't made yet into a, into a Funko Pop. Uh, I would get, I would get all of them. I would buy that. I would buy that. I'd totally I would. I would two hundred percent buy one of those. Hey, Funko, you listening? You out there? I know you listen. I know you listen. I know your patrons. <laughs> make it happen, Funko. Make it make it so, Funko. Funko Draco. And then while you're at it, make a Funko Bowen so we can take the Funko Bowen and put it on top of Draco so it's like he's riding him or something. You know, <laughs> what they need to do is they need to, because Funko also makes the reaction figures, the little reaction figures, and I, I can't reach him. He's over there, but I have reactions, uh, a Jaws, the shark from Jaws, <laughs> and it's made to scale so that you can put the reaction two and a half inch uh, Quint into his mouth and he'll eat it. <laughs> and if they made a reaction to scale Draco, it would be a six inch scale, eight inch scale figure and then make a little, little bow and stick him in the mouth. <laughs> that would be great. Wait, he's got a you big old me? mouth. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, Listen, that would be I'm going to be honest with you. We didn't park there for very long, but honestly, I think the stalemate is my favorite scene in the entire movie oh, because, so because everything that is good about this movie is present in there. The wonderful actors, the, the witty dialogue, the, the, you know the combination of practical and CGI effects. I mean, I, that scene. Even though before I rewatched this movie, I still remember that scene quite vividly, just because mm -hmm. of 
you know, just how it's, wonderful it is. And my favorite part is still, you know, because he's got the sword in stuck in the back of his mouth and it's a stalemate because he's trying to chomp on him. But if he chomps down on him, the sword goes straight up into his brain. So they basically yep. just sitting there doing nothing. And then I, I love the exchange where he says, oh, where Bowen says, I could go without sleep for three days. And, and then Draco says, and I could go for three weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, I, honestly, my favorite part is when the, when he uh, Bowen is just bored in the mouth. They're not saying anything. It's a quiet moment. And he picks the skeletal arm of Sir Eglamore <laughs> out of the, out of his teeth and just kind of looks at it and throws it out. And Draco goes, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, I'm 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 sure it made for great radio to see me doing that <laughs> on camera, but um, <laughs> sorry, just, this was a, a this has been a special cameo by the uvula of the GNP. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's just it's just the I'll be here just, and just the way he says it too. That kind of uh, annoyed formalness of it. She was like, yeah. "Get your buttocks off my tongue." I mean, that's one of those lines where if if you rip that out of context, people would be like, "Huh." And in that moment, he sounds almost like a kindly old man. He's like, "Good, so we can talk." Yeah, that's right. I need to talk face to face. I give you my word. Um, I I love that part, dude. And it's um, and what again, word, yes. what's the word of a dragon? Word? word of a dragon. I love Bowen's. Can we talk about Bowen's uh, accent in this film? Where he's in England I, okay, and has no I was accent. Gonna, I want to say. I don't know what I, I mean. It's not a terrible performance by Quinn, no, but it's his not. It's great. his voice just seems really strange to me. In this, he sounds he sounds like. Uh, I mean, it's not quite. It's not quite Christopher Lambert in Highlander, where people weren't quite sure what the frick he was doing. <laughs> yeah, but he, he's got this kind of kind of low kind of gravel to him. He he kind of he he kind of sounds like less conspiratorial Alex Jones in a couple of. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to know about this deep state dragon nonsense that's going on on the web right now. <laughs> they're turning. They're turning. They're turning the dragon about dragons. <laughs> they're turning yeah, the freaking dragons gay. There it is. Um, Got to get that in there. Oh, Alex, you horrible man. Um, Dude, I got it. Dude. But that's he does kind of sound like that. He sounds like, but it's now I'm never gonna be able to watch that without hearing the the, the frogs <laughs> thing. But no, he's he, no honestly, I I really enjoy uh, Dennis's performance in this. It was something that stuck out to me when I saw the film as a kid that he was the only one. Well, he was one of the only ones without an accent because Dinah didn't have an accent either. I don't think. But um, not. But he it, just, it didn't. No, it didn't. It didn't matter to me. It didn't matter to me. I thought his performance was good. He looked the part. He looked like a knight who'd been to hell and back. Um, he was good. He was good. I mean, I've, I've always been more of a Randy Quaid guy personally, but you know, no, I'm just, I, I love both of those guys, yeah. but Dennis is, Dennis is, uh, I mean, he's, he's always good. He has, he has, he's got presence. He's one of those actors that's, that has presence in anything he's in. Um, and he has a, he has a very good kind of gravelly kind of, you don't want to mess with me sort of, sort of, uh, sort of voice, not too deep, not too high. And he can, he has good range with it, but you know, he kind of stays in that. Yeah, you general kinda, yeah, he, he blah, 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 stays blah, in that voice, nonsense, uh, blah, blah, yeah, blah. in that range a little bit. It's a little bit like my Captain Gordon before I modulate yeah, a little bit. That's right. That is a good that is a good Captain with the modulation on there. It sounds 
Mm, it yeah. sounds very good. I didn't. I was a little disappointed with it in the newest episode, but you know. yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it was good. fine. Yeah, it was it, fine. You know, it's it's not as it's not as good as some of your other voice actors you've had on the show. <laughs> but I I we really don't know anything about that now, do we? <laughs> I just love no, Dragon Heart. Well, just it's so you know, just so you know, I'm I'm trying to find an excuse to get yeah, to get Doctor Dorif on the show at least one or two more times this winter, season, spring, but. summer, or fall. All you have to do is call, and I'll be there. <laughs> Anyway, I'm better now. I, I get that out of my system. I'm better. I feel like Doctor Dorif in his spare time is hiding in a corner collecting flies. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> two hundred and three thousand four hundred seventy-eight, two hundred and three thousand four hundred seventy-nine. Yeah, I can see it. He's very uh, anal retentive think, I, and OCD of, uh, about his fly collection. Oh no, I'm thinking because I'm thinking of uh, uh, Renfield. <laughs> oh yeah, rats. <laughs> If anyway, you ever want to have I, Renfield on the show, just let me know. Um, Alston's <laughs> a rat. <laughs> you could, uh, you know, hey, uh, you know, if, if someone decided to, back. if someone decided to sponsor, you know, the Bella Lugosi Dracula, I'd probably do it. But <laughs> well, that would be a splendid idea, Mr. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a few points I have here related to the script. I know the another complaint that I saw. When I was looking up the critics' response to this movie, was that the, they thought the script was a little bit confusing, and I didn't really find it confusing. Although I think there are a few bits that you kind of had to ponder a little bit. It's like, okay, are they keeping this character's motivations consistent? Because the you had Ian's mother, and Ian's mother seemed a little bit strange at first because she came across for a good chunk of the movie like she was basically being held prisoner and she was very disappointed with her son to say the least. And she helps Kara escape. But then later on, she's gifting Einan dragon slayers. Like she's trying to help him out. And it turns out the reason she's doing that is because she has realized, and we had seen hints of this throughout the film that Einan and Draco are connected. And basically if Draco dies, Einan dies, but Einan, it's the implication seems to be Einan is basically immortal uh, as long as Draco is still alive, but they don't figure that out until later. So it's actually kind of clever what she's trying to do. So she's got a little subplot going on through this that makes the the story in this a little bit more complex, and uh, she gets a little bit of an arc. And then you, we really know Einan is evil because you know he murders his own mother. I mean, you, there's no coming back from that. And, now, I'm starting to think this guy's not very nice. <laughs> what don't 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 do that. No, he's um, I mean, he's been pretty evil the whole movie, but that moment is still pretty shocking. I mean, it's not shocking because, you know, he's you know, what's going to happen, but still, it's pretty upsetting. And um, I mean, even as a, I mean, when I was a kid, I remember that plot point because, again, I was very young when I saw this film for the first time. And I remember that plot point of her getting him the dragon slayers confusing me because my first thought because i didn't know the twist was coming and i was like but she rescued the nice lady and i i thought she was a nice person but now she gets i don't know i was very confusing uh six-year-old me was was confused well but, and i can understand apparently yeah. you were a lot like the film critics who saw this they might have been a, a, a but then i got confused. to the end of the film and heard her explain it to him and then i understood it and went oh that's a pretty neat twist bro and um, childhood me was very satisfied. Apparently, the critics didn't hear that part. I don't know. I mean, I, six-year-old me, can, this movie never confused me. 
Um, it never, I mean, I, maybe that's just me, but it never, I don't, I don't know. It seems pretty straightforward. It's got some twisty turny bits to it where you're not mm-hmm. quite sure what character, like if, what her motivations are immediately, but mm-hmm. it all makes sense at the end. If you pay attention, I mean, yeah. it's, I, I don't know. I, I guess they were too poor to pay attention. <laughs> wah, wah, indeed, Nathan. Wah, wah. <laughs> oh, indeed. there's more where that came from. <laughs> but Oh, uh, I, and, I hope so. Yeah. And then uh, I love the little bit. They even give Brother Gilbert a little bit of an arc in this because they, they get so desperate that because you know, they're basically going to try to lead a peasant revolt. And there was that joke actually at the beginning of the movie. It was like the peasants are revolting, and then you know that that old pun. They've always been revolting. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> what, what a great line! I still you I've still I've used that line before, like other other places where yeah. I'll just throw it in yeah. there. But like, uh, oh, so they're, they're so they're desperate uh, to try to train these peasants to you know, f- fight a war, basically that they even get Brother Gilbert, you know, who's uh, basically taken of. I don't know. Yeah, you're basically turning a priest who is not a violent person and trying to get him to use a bow. And then there's the funny bit where that where he's like, "Ooh, what's this?" And then he pulls the string, shoots the arrow, and he gets a headshot. And it's like, ah, oh, beginner's like, do it again. And then he does it again. He goes for the crotch. And <laughs> brother, brother Gilbert, you're a natural. Oh, yeah, basically. Um, when was I was funny. a kid, one of my favorite. Uh, beats from that final battle where they finally do go and fight Ainan is when he's up in the tree and he's um he's basically assigning a uh, you know, he, some, either a bible verse or just some some kind of a you know a good uh, like a pleasant saying to every arrow he shoots cuz he hasn't killed anyone yet he's yeah. just maiming people and he he has a shot he takes where he hits one of Ainan's men right in the butt <laughs> and he falls off the horse and he says, turn the other cheek, brother. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and, uh, and then I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it, it yeah. means yeah, those it, are funny. butt cheek. It made me laugh. As a yeah. Kid. Well, those are funny. And then there's a point where it's like he's actually seriously contemplating actually trying to kill somebody. And he he goes, thou shalt not kill any lets the arrow fly. And actually, and it, it was when he's shooting right Einan. through the heart. It's when well, he's shooting Einan and it doesn't work. <laughs> Uh-huh. But it that works on Draco because Draco falls over at that point because he's flying around, which that was the other interesting thing. You would think that even if it, you're a bunch of untrained peasants, if you have a dragon on your side, it seems a little bit one-sided. Then we have the twist with you know, with uh, him getting hurt when he's not getting hit and then falling over, getting captured, and then there was all of that. So there was that nice complication when you would think normally, if you have a dragon on your side, you're probably going to win. <laughs> yeah, and that's the moment where... Uh, <clears throat> pardon me, where Einan realizes the link where he's like, call off the battle, call off the battle, call off the battle. And he runs back and he goes, don't kill that dragon. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever Basically. you have to do. I want that dragon alive. And you can, and you can hear Draco say, Oh no. Like he just, he realizes that it's the, the game is over. Yeah. You know? And then we have that really intense scene, honestly, and again, credit to Sir Sean with his performance when we get to the end when Bowen is like, I'm here to save you. He's like, no, you need to kill me. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not going to kill you. It's like, you have to. That is the only way Ainan is going to die. It's the only way we can stop his evil right now. Kill me right now. And it's just, it's intense, man. And Bowen does everything he can to not have to do it. And yeah. then you have the wonderful parallelism that and this was actually a point that I wrote on there between the, you know that that 
slow-mo shot when Bowen finally makes the decision to do that and the the parallelism between Einan's footsteps as he's running and Draco's heartbeat mm-hmm. and then how both stop when Bowen throws I think it was an axe he threw an axe at yeah. Draco's yeah. heart and then how they both slowly stop because Einan starts stumbling over as he succumbs at the same time as Draco. And it was, it was actually a much more effective than I thought it would be, to be honest. I remember that, but I didn't remember it being that effective. It's a real ter- it's a real tearjerker, for sure. Yeah, uh, because... And then we get into this, and this, again, some wonderful mythology that we get in this. The whole... Uh, Draco's whole motivation for, what, for doing what he did was very spiritual, uh, because he said, dragons believe that when we die, one of two things happens. We either basically go to, I don't know, basically the dragon version of heaven, which is up in up in the sky in the, the Draco constellation, which is where Bowen gets his name for him because Draco was about to tell him his real name. He's like, you can't pronounce it. And, yeah, <laughs> and he's going to tell him, and then he you know has you know, some heartburn at that moment you know, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And so he says, oh, but I, and then there's that joke where, the, where he says, well, you know, uh, the, in the scholarly tongue, you know, they call that constellation, you know, Draco, which means dragon. And then he's like, so instead of calling me dragon in your tongue, you're going to call me dragon in another tongue. <laughs> and it's, it's a cute, it's a cute moment. And it's like, that's it, actually nice. the closest thing to kind of a self-aware kind of bathos sort of joke. So it's almost like the screen. It's like the, the filmmakers are acknowledging that the name Draco as cool as it sounds really just means dragon. <laughs> yeah, but it, it works. It's, it's not one of those moments where, you know, the character turns towards the camera and goes, it's dragon. We know it's silly, but just go along with us. Yeah, basically, basically, you know, basically. Just, you know. so, he, he, uh, but in order to do that, when a dragon dies, they have to earn it. Mm-hmm. The, they have to be. They have to prove themselves worthy of that. Otherwise, I think he said their souls just disappear into the ether. They disappear into nothingness. Yes. So he was desperately trying to do something that would make him worthy of that. And he thought that by giving half of his heart to Einan, that that would happen. And then Einan, you know, as I said, became twice the tyrant his father was, and it just all fell apart. And then, so he was fearing for his very immortal soul this entire time. And yeah. then we get the moment where Draco dies, Einan's evil is extinguished, and his soul rises up into the constellation, and they're playing that theme song again, and you know everything comes to fruition at that. Moment. And you and you get that great line at the end. It's like Draco, what where where will we look to when you're gone? And then Draco just says, "The stars, look to the stars." Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, it's surprisingly effective, I have to mm-hmm. say. It's very good. Oh, the old code. Yes, may, uh, I had to, I, I had to bring I, it in here. May I? May yes, I? go for it. Because <laughs> I this I is good. I, I used to, I did used to have this memorized. That's how much I love you know, this film. I, as a I kid. gotta confess, I think I might honestly print this out if I could find like a real like product poster for it. I would probably buy it, but I might actually print this out and put it up in my office. <laughs> oh, I I would too. I would too. Let's see here. <clears throat> A knight is sworn to valor. His heart knows only virtue. His blade defends the helpless. His might upholds the weak. His word speaks only truth, and his wrath undoes the wicked. 
Yes. <laughs> oh, so good. So good. Uh, and the, uh, again, it might come across as corny, and you know what? Maybe it is, but I still it, love it. It, it, it fits in. It, it, it kind of fits in with the whole Arthurian thing, which is a – It's that's another weird thing about this film that doesn't like stick around too long, but if you pay enough attention to it, it is reliant on Arthurian mm-hmm. – Kind of, and this feels very much like a you know a knight has sworn to valor. That's a very round tabley thing, mm-hmm. you know. Like it feels like uh, it came from that. Like I can see them. I can see Arthur and his knights surround surround the table and raise a gauntlet full of uh, grog or beer, whatever they were drinking <laughs> in, the, in those days. A Grape goblet, juice. you mean? Huh? A goblet, you mean? A gauntlet is their gloves. Oh yeah. God! Sorry. Uh, I, <laughs> Thank you. That was um, my Jimmy from maybe NASA they filled their gauntlets with grape juice. We don't know. <laughs> yes, they could have. Or apple juice. Or I was apple drinking, juice. I was drinking apple juice earlier. Right. <laughs> I love apple juice. I love all kinds of apple juice. Uh, but I can see them <laughs> drinking. I can see them drinking and reciting this code. Yeah. Uh, uh, every apparently, time they believe it or not, well. Everything has a wiki now, but there's a Dragonheart wiki, and apparently there is a longer version of this. So, oh, uh, oh okay. I don't remember. Well, here I'll look it up really quick. I forget where it's from, but Go apparently there's it. a longer version. I I dare them to come up with a better ending than his wrath undoes the wicked. Uh, it, this, uh, this the part that we're reciting is actually the second half. There's a first half. <laughs> oh, good. The wrath undoes the wicked is still the ending, and there, <laughs> yeah, that means the, uh, that there's there's goodness in this universe. Yeah. Okay. Let me, uh, zoom in a little bit here. So it's easier to, uh, to see the, okay. Back up a little bit. So according to the Dragonheart wiki, it starts by saying the old code was a set of rules followed by knights, which were meant to maintain order in the world. It was followed strictly by Bowen. Here's the full version. I don't know where they get this, but the first verse, uh, Oh, oh no, wait, Excuse me. Actually, there are several stanzas of the old code that are oh not gosh. in the movie. So here's the parts. Uh, so obviously, they said the better known version is much shorter, consisting, yeah, and it lists that. But here's the longer version. I don't know where this is from, but I guess they maybe it was written down, but they never put it in the movie. Inside the table circle, under the sacred sword, a knight must vow to follow the code that is unending, unending as the table, a ring by honor bound. A knight is sworn to valor. His heart knows only virtue. His blade defends the helpless. Okay, so it's the middle stanza. His might upholds the weak. His his word speaks only truth. His wrath undoes the wicked. And then here's, an, uh, here's the final stanza. The right can never die. If one man still recalls, the words are not, uh, are not forgot. If one voice speaks them clear, the code forever shines. If one heart holds holds it bright. Wow. Brilliant. That's I wonder if that was cuz I remember seeing it somewhere, maybe I'm crazy that there was a <laughs> novelization of this film out there. <laughs> there maybe, was. It, may, yeah, maybe uh I don't own it. Um but maybe uh that seems like something they put in the novel. Mm-hmm. Like the longer and a code unending indeed, by the way, I just, <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. If they had kept that whole thing in there and had Bowen have his coming to Arthur moment. And he said that whole thing, people probably would have been like, 
<sighs> yeah. Come on. Yeah. Keep stretching, <laughs> Bowen. It's been 10 minutes and you're still reciting it. No, but that is beautiful. That is really cool. Yeah. I, I've always loved the old code. It just, it rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's basically everything that, uh, that I've got on this movie. Uh, I'll give you a few minutes here, Danny, as, uh, before we wrap things up to, uh, talk about the one sequel and three prequels. I thought and it was the other minutes. way around. Actually, I thought it was one prequel and three sequels, but it's not. No, it's so, one uh, sequel. So uh, one sequel. You know, if you've got that uh, that collection, you can uh, you know, hold that up. Tell us what they're all called, and you know. I, I, by I the way, the, uh, by know, the way, there is a novelization. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I just want to. I'm glad I know. Yeah. Here's and, the whole. Know, then, here's uh, the whole give set. us like. I guess I'm curious anyway. Can you give us the cliff notes? This is the cliff. Yeah. This is the, this is the cliff notes version. So. Basically, um, and this so what, is very funny because the, the, first the follow up. What's, what what's the first one called? Well, the first one is uh, Dragonheart, A New Beginning, mm -hmm. which was a uh, direct-to-video sequel. These are it all direct-to-video. They, well, they're all direct-to-video. All of them were. Uh, basically, at some point, because they did this, the, the sequel, not I don't know. I want to say it came out in 2001 or two. I honestly don't 2000. remember what year. It was 2000. 2000? Was yeah. it 2000? Okay. And um, in that film which is the only sequel out of the group. Um, and it's actually the first of the dragon hearts that I saw. I found it on TV oh. and then was compelled to go back and watch the, the first one um, because I had no, I, well, I, I did know what was going on, but it helped because I, then I went back and watched the second one. And again, and I was like, Oh, well that, that makes a lot more sense. Um, the second film uh, picks up, it's got a lot smaller budget and it's got a lot more funny bits in it. Um, I think they were aiming for a, a a younger audience with that they had to be because the the first film was pg-13 and that that is the only one the second was the only one that actually has a pg rating which i thought was yes a little it's weird. it's very much the kids movie version of it's kind of like the battle for the planet of the apes of the planet of the apes franchise mm -hmm. if that that helps um but it's it's very entertaining and it takes place um i don't know a, a, a couple generations after the first one bowen is uh he, he's in the, the prologue of the sequel and it's explained that Draco was the last dragon and he died. And then Bowen in his old age feels compelled to go back to the cave behind the waterfall. And in there he discovers an egg, a dragon. Of egg. course. And he does. so of course he does. Right. And um, it's never implied, but it was always my kind of fan theory that um, in, in the very first dragon heart, Draco makes mention of the, uh, the dragon that Bowen kills at the beginning of the, yeah, the movie. Yeah, she, she, she and I uh, were the last. Yeah, it's the closest thing you would get to us. Uh, another dragon in this, unlike the toy line, but it's just, mm -hmm. it's just, it a, just a shadow flies. on the ground as it flies over. Yeah, you know, and uh, Draco, Draco seems pretty upset. He says, "Must have been a proud kill. Uh, how much did her hide get you? She and I were the last." which means the last two dragons were male and female. So it would make sense that this was their egg and that Draco was protecting it. But um, upon his death, um, or right before Bowen's death, he goes back and he gets this, he finds this egg and he goes, oh my God, there's another dragon. And he takes the egg and entrusts it to the monastery that Brother Gilbert establishes right before he dies. And then it jumps ahead about, I don't know, 20 some odd years. And it follows the, um, the, the basically the story follows this, uh, 20 something peasant boy, the stable boy who wants desperately to become a brave knight, like those of Arthur's time mm -hmm. and uh, shenanigans ensue during which he discovers uh, uh, Drake, 
the son oh, of Draco. Um, <laughs> Drake, spelled D-R- we go from Draco to Drake, of course. Yeah. Drake, uh, voiced by Robbie Benson. Oh. And um, which is pretty awesome. And uh it's 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 a it's a fun little it's it's a boy and his dragon movie, you know, where they have an okay. adventure and they he teaches him how to fly. He doesn't know how to breathe fire for most of the movie. And basically what happens is that most of the plot involves a uh conniving uh man within the, the king's court who is poisoning the king slowly to make him look like he's losing his mind because he wants to take over and um basically you know he's up to no good he takes the uh joff the uh, the peasant boy under his wing and tries to teach him how to be a knight and unfortunately that involves killing dragons so he has to make a choice and um the most interesting part of the film is that two visitors from china come t- into the mix and they are um part of an uh, a lineage that used to um be in cahoots with the dragons in their own country and ultimately spoiler alert it's revealed that um the bad guy who's trying to get Drake to share his heart with him by all means necessary and take over the kingdom is another dragon. He is an Eastern dragon in disguise and he is incomplete and needs a dragon heart in order to assume his dragon form again. And then he and Drake have a fight. Drake kills him. And then Drake shares his half of his heart with Joff who's injured in battle and they get to be bonded and it brings up. Yeah. Okay. It's very things. uh, Two things from your description. Well, three things. One that actually sounds way more interesting than I would have thought it would have been. And it's fun. It's uh, a really fun. And movie. Uh, yeah, and two, it also sounds a heck of a lot more complicated than I would have expected it to be. I'm uh, I, I'm overcomplicating three, it based. And then three, <laughs> I wouldn't mind actually seeing it now. <laughs> I, I I mean, you the DVD you held up has it on the disc, right? No, uh, this is uh, this no, is he uh, just oh, that's just oh, that's just the normal. Okay, because yeah. the, the there's a release out there that has both of them on it, but um. Yeah, so that movie came out in 2000, and then it it was like, where do you go from there? You know, so it's pretty, they could have had adventures with Stable Boy Wonder and his dragon, but they didn't. Um, but eventually, I guess they decided that the, the one thing missing from the Dragonheart franchise was turning it into Tremors. <laughs> so they basically yeah, said, there let's are, just uh, there's three make a bunch more, of Tremors And uh, they waited 15 years, I think, to make mm-hmm. another one. Mm-hmm. And then they started cranking them out every couple of years. It was a heck of a wait, and uh, I, I didn't know they were being made, uh, which is crazy. I didn't know that there was a Dragonheart 3, which is called The Sorcerer's Curse. And what and but when I heard about it, I thought, okay, direct-to-video, 15 years later, Dragonheart 3. Like, there's no way this is going to be good. Like, it's it's it feels like they're doing the Tremors thing, which are all very fun movies, but there's like 900 Tremors movies. Um, <laughs> you know, so what's it, it feels, and it's also universal, so it kind of had this kind of reeked of land before time syndrome oh good lord don't get <laughs> yeah. me started um, on that which which uh again i i grew watched all those movies as a kid and i, I love them all to death but uh there's definitely a, a thing there and i thought ah, i don't know and by the time i finally looked into it i discovered there were four dragon heart movies with a fifth one on the way and it like my mind just went and they were all on netflix and i said i gotta i gotta watch them and briefly the third one and the fourth one and the fifth one are all prequels that take place generations before Bowen's birth, bur- during a time when there are many dragons. And the um, the central conflict of the third one is, again, like not that complicated, but if I say it, it's going to be complicated. But all you need to know is that Ben Kingsley is the dragon. Yeah, it, it, that is the <laughs> and, thing. Um, I will confess when I looked into yeah. uh, these, you know, the rest of this franchise, as it's basically mm-hmm. what it is, I got to admit... 
what might get me to watch them is the fact that they continue the tradition of having high-profile, mm-hmm. really incredible actors voicing the dragon. So in that one, it, uh, Sor- Sorcerer's Curse is what he said is that it's Ben yeah. Kingsley. I think the fifth, it's I can't fourth, remember if it's the, the fourth, fourth one or the fifth Stewart. one is Patrick Stewart. And I'm like, okay, you yeah. you had me at Patrick Stewart. You got you so. got you had me at, <laughs> you you got my interest at Patrick, but you kept me at Stewart. Yeah, basically. Uh, no, uh, the, the they're actually really good. I was pleasantly surprised, honestly, just on a purely objective level. I think at least three is better made than two is. Mm-hmm. I feel like it has more of a budget behind it. I think the C- the CGI for a direct to video film is pretty outstanding. The plot is engaging. They're they're they're, I guess the best way to describe them would be inoffensive, very fun, low budget, but uh, highly enjoyable fantasy dragon films. Yeah, um, and I'm guessing and the, those three are fairly closely connected because they're all prequels. They're, fa- they're fairly closely connected. One and two. Like, so well, it's all, they're almost like a little trilogy in yeah. the five. Three, three and four are, um, and the fourth and, one's called Battle for the Heartstone. Um, and it, it dropped the numerical uh, thing at yeah. that point. So it's not Dragonheart 4. It's d- because at a certain point, most like it's like Halloween. At a certain point, you can't keep calling them Halloween 7 and 8 because people are going to be like. Yeah, I feel mm-hmm. like I, I feel like unless it's a video game, uh, you know, continuing the number yeah. thing with uh, with movie titles, I think mm-hmm. you can probably push it to about six. But I might be yeah. because that's what Star Trek did. Yeah. Come, coming to theaters in 2021, Godzilla 38. <laughs> Like <laughs> or thirty six, thirty eight will be twenty five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exit Kong twenty five. Yeah, something like that. It's it's ridiculous, but yeah, they're they're very very fun. Um, and then and the, the the fifth one is called that's Vengeance. A new, yeah, and the it was actually one, just that was twenty nineteen, I think. So yeah, it's it, very recent. It came out right before the pandemic got really bad, and um, that was also the same time they put out this this set which has all five of the movies in it. The dragon on the front here is from vengeance. The fifth of the fifth film, yeah. which is a female, which is a female dragon shaking it up a bit. Oh, very progressive. <clears throat> yeah. Indeed. Um, and it's, a, it, that one's really good too. They're actually surprisingly good. Again, you can tell that they're, they're low budget and they were probably shot on um, cheap to put up or maybe even pre-existing sets. There's no big names outside of dragon voices in these movies. Um, and again, the, the, the third one is, a, you know, a prequel and it makes reference to the old code and it, it part of it, it doesn't even really feel like a Dragonheart movie for the first bit, but there's a certain point in the film where, um, one of the characters gets injured. The main character gets injured and the dragon walks up to him and lifts his f- fingers up to his chest to do the, the cut to take out the heart yeah. and the music start, the music, the theme starts to creep in. And I went. It's a Dragonheart movie. Yeah, I got see, very, I got very thing, happy. Uh, you know, that's the thing. In order to really make it a Dragonheart movie, you got to use that great concept. It's one of those yeah. things where it's you start. It's the law of diminishing returns at that point, which mm-hmm. would be, I think, would be kind of the problem with yeah. this is that it's mm-hmm. it, that concept. The more you do it, the less potent it becomes. Yeah. The uh, the interesting thing about the the sec- the dragon that's in because it's the same dragon in movies three and four, and his name is Drago. Uh, huh? Uh, huh? Huh? Yeah. Drago. You know, okay. And, Just to show how uh, my nerd card a little bit here, you say Drago to me, and I think of superhuman samurai cyber squad. But in that case, it was a fire breathing robot T Rex. But I think of Baby Dra- Don Don intensified. <laughs> I, Except they didn't use the th- that theme in that. Well, show. they did. They did not use no. that. But, I always think of Rocky Four, but yeah, oh, well, I well, must let- break you. <laughs> 
Drago. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, um, he's he's voiced by Ben Kingsley in the third one, and then Patrick Stewart in the fourth one. Same dragon, different voice actor. I guess they uh, Ben Kingsley was probably busy shooting eight thousand movies that yeah, second. yeah, like Iron Man three. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, he was either doing Iron Man three or Night at the Museum three, and they <laughs> couldn't get him. And I'm making this up; that's probably not true. But Patrick Stewart was like. Well, all I've got going on is that stupid emoji movie. So <laughs> I got sure I'll do your dragon movie. It's not a very good. That's not a good Patrick, but uh, I can't do Pat. Only Patrick can do a good Patrick. Yeah, and, only uh, Patrick. He's not here right Patrick. now. You yeah. got you're stuck with me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're they're fun. They're fun. They're fun. They're surprisingly and, well and, made. Uh, can, who is it in uh, movie five with the lady dragon? You know what? Now I'm going to have. Now you caught me. I'm going to have to look at the back of the box. I was going to say, we're talking about these high profile actors doing <laughs> doing the. That's a Dragonheart tradition. Oh, okay, that's know. right. I was right. I should have just gone with my instinct. It was the Helena Bonham Carter. Ooh. What <laughs> okay. a, I do remember. Really, really good. Now. And for a second, I almost wanted to say Rachel Weiss. But uh, that was she did the dragon in Ara the Aragon movie. Oh, um, <laughs> which I but never no, it was, saw. Yeah, so. sorry, sorry. I, we're we're talking about good talking dragon movies right now. <laughs> I, I honestly didn't hate the the, Ar the Aragon movie. It wasn't great, but I didn't hate it. But it's no Dragonheart, and yeah. uh, Helena Bonham Carter's really good in it, and she's. Yeah, she's she's like an ice breathing dragon in the, the okay, fifth one. Nice Again, variation. they Those, shake it up. There's some interesting uh, stuff in the sequels. And uh, I want to say it's in movie. No yeah, it's movie number three, uh, Dragonheart three. The idea behind that one, and again, it's very convoluted, but it makes sense when you watch the movie. Is that the dragon is invisible um, when uh, I want to say it's either when like at nighttime the dragon goes invisible because they're getting closer to some kind of like celestial event and oh okay. Once that celestial event happens, the bad guy will get all of the dragon's power, and they have to find a way to like separate the two of them. Matt, I don't <laughs> remember how it sounds goes. like. Uh, that sounds like all you know, basically every fantasy story ever. But <laughs> it's a no. These films are very. Um, they feel like young adult fantasy novels in, in yeah. a way, but not in a bad way. I really don't want to say that in a yeah. way to like disparage young adult fantasy novels. Yeah, yeah. God get, knows they, they've what written, you're saying. They've, you know, but, uh, but yeah. related to that, it's interesting that at the same time that all of these direct video sequels and prequels were, well, the prequels, I should say, were getting cranked out. I actually read online that the, I believe it was the screenwriter or one of the producers, not, De Laurentiis, but one mm -hmm. of the, uh, somebody who worked in the original movie was actually trying to get Dragonheart a big budget remake. I have heard that. Um, there's actually, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. With yeah. That. And the thing that I read, and again, I was just going through it quickly to prep for this. The, what I read actually would have been kind of epic, which was that they were going to get Connery to do mm -hmm. Draco again. Now you can't, unfortunately. No, no but they uh, they had uh, honestly an incredibly epic idea for who they wanted to cast as i'm assuming it was going to be bowen and mm. i i would have lost my mind if you would have had sean connery sir sean connery doing draco again with liam neeson <laughs> are you this movie didn't get made. Oh this God. movie did, unfortunately, oh. did not get made. But that was kind of what they wanted to do. They wanted to get Connery back, and they were going to have Liam Neeson. I'm like, ah! good lord, that <laughs> you, do you would really, have been, if you gave them yeah. the right script? Do you realize how incredible that would have been? <laughs> oh my God, that is no, that's outstanding. And I know there is a fifth direct-to-video, a sixth direct-to-video sequel in production. 
There's going to be a Dragonheart six. Um, and it's all the, the interesting <sighs> thing I find about it is that it's all still under the, the, the producership, if you will, of the De Laurentiis family. Really? Uh, they must, Rafaela they De Laurentiis must really in believe her, in this franchise. That's all I have. They to are, say. they are the ones that said, we're going to do a second one after the first one uh, came out. And then they were the ones who all those years later said, you know what? We think that there's potential with this universe and with this mythos and we want to try again. And so they did three and three was really well received in terms of uh, like people reviewing it. The big thing that people talked about with three was that the visual effects were astonishingly good considering the budget. Um, like the, the visual effects for the dragon are put it in a theater. Good. They're not yeah. asylum level trash. Yeah. yeah. Um, now here's my question. Yeah. Here's my question though, about the sixth one. Is it another prequel continuing mm-hmm. that thing? Yeah. Okay. So it'll, not- t- it'll probably take place after vengeance, um, with the surviving characters. Um, I won't get too deep into the plots on those because I do recommend that they, uh, they be watched because they're actually quite good. They were on Netflix up until recently, but, um, I'm a, uh, I'm a physical media guy and Netflix can't come into my home and take this off my shelf. Yep. So, yep. Physical media, man. Yeah. And I, I have, yeah. I have the five movies set myself. Yeah. Hashtag nice. physical media forever. Physical <laughs> me, physical me. And sometimes forever is uh, very literal. Uh, <laughs> this, this, this is my childhood copy of Dragonheart, which has been worn all the way down. It's all taped up. Um, but yeah, there it is. It's kind of amazing that they, they've kind of kept this aesthetic for all the re-releases, but this is, uh, what would have been on shelves back then. This is, yeah. uh, I cherish this tape. If I, uh, if I had a, a VCR that didn't eat tapes right now, I'm trying to get my VCR fixed so I can watch all my old tapes, but I would watch it just on the tape, just for the nostalgia factor, mm. you know, because you yeah. can watch it in nice, pretty Blu-ray, but there's just something about popping in a tape and just hearing it. It just, it sound it feels right. Uh, that being said, <laughs> I want to. Uh, I just want to say thank you, gentlemen, for uh, for joining me to do this you know, wonderful broadcast. And I'm sure your fellow patrons will have a good time watching this uh, again in the future. And uh, hopefully, everyone else who you know may be hearing the audio of this at some point in the future will have a good time. And uh, I hope we paid a worthwhile tribute to Sir Sean. To Sir Sean? <laughs> yeah. That's a heck of a Ice tribute. Ice words. <laughs> no, no, this was a really fun uh, idea. This was a really cool thing to do. Um, Sean was one of those guys that uh, you don't, like, he just kind of seemed like he'd always be around. Yeah. Y- you know, like, you never kind of thought of there ever being a world that you lived in without Sean flipping Connery in it. Yeah. Right? Um. I mean, it, he was such a tremendous presence in everything he did, whether it was just the, a, a voice coming out of a dragon or a, a dapper man asking for uh, his drink. Like he was he was just a, I mean, does anybody or, have or like, I guess before, like or complaining yeah? about his son? That's another. Good one. That's right. That's right. Yeah. This, I mean, <laughs> sorry for anyone who uh, if this does get released as audio, I chopped out about an hour and a half of the three of us just hanging out and talking about <laughs> random BS that is not e- barely tangentially related to the subject at hand. <laughs> so do we want to skip ahead and give our final shameless plugs so that we can inject? We that probably the- should, although you guys started the episode off by doing it. I'm just saying. Well, I mean, but you know, me and Danny, me and Danny need to plug our stuff, man. Well, you Nate, I, I understand Nate. You also have a podcast. Yeah. yeah don't, yes. don't be selfish, Nate. Sorry. 
It's late. That's a bad joke. Um, <laughs> you have yeah, a well, thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, um, are we going to plug or are we going to? No, do it. Go do ahead. It. You go do first. It now. Okay. Do it now. Okay. So, um, get to the chopper. We're, we're drifting back into the hour and a half of I nonsense, know, I think, here. <laughs> if you want to follow the Godzilla novelization project, go to Twitter. At Go- I'm not doing that. I need a drink of water. <sighs> that's that's too much for me. Um, <laughs> uh, if I ever need that voice on the show, I know who to call. Let, let me, let me, you know, it would be, it would be good for, it would be good for like a recap previously on the Monster Island film. Vault. We should, uh, I've got an episode coming up where that actually might come in handy. So <laughs> and now on to the next exciting chapter of the Monster Island film vault starring Jimmy from NASA and uh, some guy named Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. Hit me up. Hit me up. The, yeah. the, I don't get to use announcer guy that much. So, uh, he's. <laughs> Except to annoy my family. So my family uh, again, is watching this. Again, I'm, there not is reveal, no escape. I'm, not, I'm not revealing anything about it. But no, don't tell me. Definitely. Hey, Mom, no, 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 not to you. Dinner? Not to you, to everybody else who might be listening to this or watching it. I know that there may be a place for that voice. I'm just saying. Well, you'll have to let me know. Until then, I'll be narrating the Clone Wars. Um, okay. <laughs> Enough of that nonsense. He'll, he'll probably come back eventually. But all right. Godzilla Novelization Project. Um, I, I, I'm writing Godzilla books. It's pretty neat. If you would like to see the neat stuff that I write about Godzilla books, you can go to the Godzilla Novelization Project.com, which used to be .wordpress.com, but is no longer .wordpress.com because yeah, of my super neat patrons. And you too can be a super neat patron also. And if I'm Yeah, sorry. and uh, <laughs> one of those patrons kept telling you to get a real website for years. <laughs> yes, and that that I could I I yeah, I finally I finally did it and it doesn't look awful anymore. So, yeah, patrons yeah, are Yeah, let me tell you. It was a little yeah. bit strange reading your your very you know, well, very well-written novelizations and then suddenly I get this random weird ad about foot fungus cream or something and I'm Yeah, like, it was it was it was it was inexcusably awful. It was because the thing is, when I'm signed into WordPress, I don't see the ad, so it's not on my mind. But then when I get on WordPress, I'm like, oh my god, like foot fungus. Why? Why is this here? Like, what? Why is my website trying to sell people insurance? Like, why is the guy? Why is the Geico gecko on my website? It's um, like, well, why I is, mean, why is I, Bill Swift trying like, to sell FlexSeal on my I'm website? <laughs> I can't do the Australian accent very well with the gecko wanting to be no. called Zilla. <laughs> well, the problem with my Australian accent is that it's uh, it's more intense. You know, it's sort of uh, I've got to really like go for it. You know, I've got to like really dive right into it. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's got to be like really, really intense. <laughs> G'day, Cobber. Welcome to the Godzilla Novelization Project. Go to GodzillaNovelizationProject.com if you want to read me super neat, super awesome, fair dinkum novelizations. Crikey, mate, I can't keep doing that. Including the novelization of the Omni Godzilla 2, which was in Australia. Dude, I, I I would love to do that. Um, if I'm in in it long enough, I'd love to do full novelizations of the lost scripts. But all right, long story short, we got to end this. Yeah. Uh, if you if if you're a Godzilla fan and you want to hang out with uh you know you know read some cool stuff and maybe experience the films in a way you haven't before via prose, uh, check out what I do. I have a website full of books and full of short stories, um, and full of cool in depth Godzilla timelines. Um, follow me at. Uh, 
Danzilla 93 underscore GNP at Twitter. Uh, if you'd want to hit me up on there, we, I do all kinds of fun, weird, nonsensical stuff on there. And I also have a Facebook page and an email address. If you want to contact me, uh, tell me I'm, you know, ruining your childhood or tell me I'm super neat. Uh, there's a contact page on the website. Uh, if you want to be a patron, I have a Patreon account. And also I have to plug this before I stop. If you like free stuff, I was going to say, you need to bring this as up of, as of right now at the airing the, you know, recording of this episode, uh, I have a giveaway contest that's ending in one week on June 4th. And it's the first time I've ever done this. And, um, basically I'm, I've got a pile of super cool stuff. It's literally right, right over here. I've got stuff like the God, the, uh, Godzilla versus Kong, 10 inch Kong Funko pop. I have the Mecha Godzilla Funko pop. I've got keychains. I've got an Ultraman Blu-ray, some Ultraman comics, uh, one of the playmates toys, um, stuff like that. And all you have to do to enter into the raffle is leave a review for the GNP. You can review one of the books. If you have a particular favorite, uh, you can review the whole project. You can review one of the timelines. It can be a star rating. It can be one word. I, I don't care. If you leave the review, I will put you in the raffle and I you might win one of those super cool things. Um, you can write me a review on the website itself. Uh, you can email me a review. You can leave it on Twitter. If you tweet it at me, that's what Nate did. Thank you again, Nathan. Yeah, um, because... Yeah, yeah because, because WordPress, WordPress is being ridiculous. I'm hoping to get a discus thing set up, so leaving comments on the website will be easier. Uh, and also, you can email them to me. You can leave them on Facebook. And again, that's one week from now. So if you like free Godzilla things... Then uh, if, you, if you're like me, and I know I am, you like free stuff and you might want free, cool Godzilla things. I mean, that, those Funko Pops are hard to find. And uh, Lord, I found, yes. I, yeah, I found a couple of extra ones. And if you'd like them or comics, I have the yeah. first three issues of the Trials of Ultraman. I got to well. I got to confess, I'm secretly hoping I win that uh Funko Mecha Godzilla. So. The Funko Mecha Godzilla. Well, uh, well, we'll see, man. We'll see. You mean which there's... which one? You which version though? The the oh one the this, that... the standard one. Yeah, the uh, the one I have or the other one I have. <laughs> the one you the one you have. Shut Michael. up. Do okay. your plug. That My narrows it down. It's the, the, the standard one that doesn't that doesn't have the glow in the dark. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, just oh, hurry up and do your plugs, Michael, because my laptop wants to die. So I'm all right. I'm fine, 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 fine. I'm Michael Hamilton. You can find me online at Kaiju Groupie Pod on Twitter. I'm at the Kaiju Groupie on Instagram. I run a pretty cool podcast. And Travis, uh, we're at uh, Kaiju Weekly on Twitter. Uh, we publish episodes uh, every Wednesday, so go subscribe. Find us on the Spotify, Twitter, or Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and and uh, one random one that I can't remember the name of. Uh, I also help publish a pretty cool magazine called Kaiju Ramen. You can find out more about that project at kaijuramenmagazine.com. And while you're there, actually buy a copy because there are digital and physical copies on the website that you can purchase for the low, low price of $5.99 for the digital and $10.99 for the physical. And I believe, and believe me, these two gentlemen can say it is well worth every penny. Mm -hmm. I have a copy. I helped edit the first two issues. So I got to see a most of them before anybody else did. And, uh, dude, this second issue is out of control. It's so good. Yes, it's it so is. good. Uh, and, and you mentioned before, there are not a lot of issues, issue two physical copies left. So anybody out there, if you want them, get them now. Get I did. Get them now. Uh, if you're, and if, if you're Elijah, you buy multiples. And then that's right. That's right. I was, I should have honestly gotten a second one, but I wanted yeah, to leave you, extras then you for given one other of the, people. Then you could have given one away. 
with the GMP. I, I could have. I could have. Could've. I could have. But uh, that, that would have been water. stupendous. Next giveaway. Yeah, ne- we'll see. Next giveaway. All right. And like I said, the laptop wants to die. And uh, all my shameless plugs are going to be in the credits, so which I'm going to play right now. So all of you are going to uh, be silenced. I kill you. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nate Marchand. If you enjoy the show and want to join the discussion, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Your message could be read on a future episode of the show. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault and on Twitter, where our handle is at TheMonsterIsla1. You can also follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASAJimmy and the Monster Island Board of Directors at MonsterIslaBOD. I have fulfilled my contractual obligations! And be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, and Twitch. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wanderer on the Offensive Live Edit by B33J, Sarax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack Battle with the Colossus and The Open Way Battle with the Colossus by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. All film and audio clips belong to the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. You can also support us by joining MIFV Max on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas Media production. Sayonara!